episode number 319 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos, and in today's show, we learn of a data breach at EasyJet affecting 9 million customers. Vending machines appear in airports selling PPE, and Air France announces the retirement of their entire fleet of A380s. In the military news this week, we hear of awful news from the Snowbirds display team and the Irish Air Corps in their market for a new transport plane. I talk to Max Trescott about innovative Autoland products from Garmin, and Nev brings us his latest bumper highlights package. So joining me this week, as always, over on his own in the PTUK studios, is, of course, Matt Smith. Lonely, I am <laughs> so lonely. Been too long, mate. I'm sorry. Although we did have a nice uh, surprise this week, didn't we? We uh, did. We actually had a social distancing chat in the queue to get in Lidl's <laughs> in Beckles today, didn't? Uh, on uh, yesterday, wasn't it? We did that. Yeah, we we done a complete kind of uh, military operation to yep. uh, appear at the same time at our local large supermarket and Uh, by military operation he means a a couple of whatsapps were exchanged (laughs) and you know yeah so we we had a social distance chat in the queue and then uh, we had a social distance wander around the uh, the store which was quite is is it sad that that's the most exciting thing that happened to me pretty much all week (laughs) well to be fair it was for me too Matt. you know it's nice to see someone other than uh, you know uh, Careful how you answer that. Other than who? The the wife, careful. (laughs) (laughs) Danger. Danger, Will Robinson. It's all right, it's fine. She never watches this rubbish. It's fine. So you're, you're, you're well then, mate. You're not too hot in the studio then. Uh, it is quite warm, warm in the studio, actually, because it's mm. windy here today, isn't it? But it's actually been quite a warm day. And, and uh, a couple of th- those of uh, you who follow us in the who, who are in the little BFF chat group thing, and because, as I say, I, I had a little dip in my massive paddling pool that I've got at the bottom of the garden because uh, the weather was that nice. Yes, I did scare a couple of people with photographs. So I think they've got over the shock. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that looks, that looked very nice. All you needed was one of those... Kind of air bubbly producing things. Well, yeah, no, one of my friends actually said that uh, the mistake that I'd made there is the fact that I didn't have a large gin and tonic in my hand, and I think they had a good point. I think or you could have just had Captain Allen there with you, and then you would have had these. Oh, what, the jacuzzi air effect, bubble. lovely. Jacuzzi okay. effect, yeah. <laughs> anyway, on that bombshell. Move <laughs> anyway, <on>. moving on. <laughs> so, <laughs> joining us uh, joining us this week back, back with us this week. We're glad to have him back because we do miss him when he's not here, especially when he's on his wine tasting jaunts away. Oh, it is, of course. Then the legend that is of audio and visual things, Nev. Yes, I am back by a popular request. Well, a little bit of request, not, not yes, that many. Yes. There were a couple of WhatsApps exchanged again. Yes. But uh, no, I, last week, I, because it was very military heavy and it was a good show last week. I mean, I did watch quite a lot of it and I, I understood none of it because of it's being grey and military. But uh, that said, it was a superb show. So, But my knowledge of military is so limited, uh, I could not even put it on the back of a postage stamp. So uh, I thought it best to leave it to the experts last I, I just sat there through most of it going, you know, just yeah. going over there. But I'll tell you what was nice, and we'll introduce Armando in a moment. In fact, actually, I'll do it for a change. Hi, Armando. Uh, we got this. Um, it was an amazing... It was a bit of a poor introduction. <laughs> Honestly, I had a really good one lined right, up okay, as well. well. You can do that one anyway. So it was, it was what was so lovely though was to hear uh, him and, and and Rick and Micah really sort of getting into the nuts and bolts of it. So actually, I was loving the interaction uh, with it, which was which was so good. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, Nev, you'll be happy to know that I also don't know anything about it, which is why we had Rick <laughs> and Micah on the show. So I could just uh, pretend so to throw some questions out there and they would answer it. And of course, joining us, as you heard, is the man who puts the L we'll upset in, him now when you see look. in outdoor landscaping. <laughs> it's Armando. All that just for that. Right, okay. Thanks, Carlos. <laughs> I was really... Uh, trying to beat it there's a thunderstorm coming in here in uh, lake norman and i was had a, a honeydew list so i was trying to get through the yard work and of course this is the first time i've ever taken the tops the complete top off of my jeep and as i just mentioned there's a thunderstorm coming so i had to hurry up get the tops off the jeep and then park it in the garage quite quickly <laughs> You know, I did notice the weather has been quite poor your way the last kind of few days armando um, viewing the weather through the uh, X-Plane 11 when I've been flying into um, Charlotte last week. Yeah, you sent me that that uh, screen capture of you flying the 737 into Charlotte. And yeah, yeah. that's a, I would describe it as very British weather the last couple of days. It's just kind of been misty, uh, low visibility and kind of rainy, but not rainy, just enough to make you want to stay indoors thank you i think uh, i think that's a backhanded compliment I, if ever i heard one uh, i miss it no 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 I, absolutely not i completely miss sitting on my back garden in barry st edmunds uh, with a cup of tea uh, you know in the conservatory the conservatory oh, very lovely. Um, yes, well done, you. Yes. oh how posh <laughs> frightfully nice yes <laughs> anyway should we move on uh, I, I was actually i was i was trawling before we move on too much i was trawling through uh, the old um, the old internet and stuff and uh, there, there, there's sort of a bit of a, a a theme running isn't there with people and having like sort of silly videos and stuff that are that are doing the rounds and uh, there's a really lovely one which i'm just going to play you a little bit from here because a bit limited because of the, the music track that's on it um so i'll keep it low in the mix but um uh, whiz air have been uh, having a go at this whole sort of uh, viral video thing if you like and uh, I, I guess they're busy prepping for uh, what we hope will be lots of flights sort of returning to to the airwaves um, and uh, yeah it's uh, I'll make it's sure like link... a Saturday night disco with Carlos well quite it? it is very it's, it's not entirely dissimilar um, it's uh, but uh, I, I, as I say I, I assume it's all choreographed and everything by uh, by sort of other people but what a great little uh... <laughs> What a great little video this is! I, I, I tell you what, seriously, uh, air crews and stuff keep these coming because they're they're a lot of fun. These things, I, I think they're great. It's um, I'd, I'd say that we're watching the video now. There's there's some serious choreography got into these little routines. They put a lot of effort into this. Yeah, they, yeah. they put a lot, a lot of effort into landing that plane just now. Though, right, do you yeah. see the? Uh, <laughs> that was there was no stabilization whatsoever. Right, going I mean, on, for right? those watching the audio version, it is a blow up aeroplane, so nobody was harmed Look at it. during the landing of said blow up aeroplane. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you get the gist of it. What a great idea. Say so seriously, well done to Wiz. Uh, what a lot of fun. Uh, do keep it coming. Do keep them coming. I'm glad to it. see the full use of PPE. Right. Well, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Oh, in fact, actually, we're going to be talking about PPA, PPE a bit later on. I thought you were going to say PPI. From PPI. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that ship has sailed, I think, isn't it? It's, uh, we're uh, a bit too late for that, Matt. Yeah. No, yeah. No. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> so we are going to start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if all you gents are ready. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, there we go. go.
So kicking off this week's first news story on the bbc.co.uk website. And it's a story that did make me worry just slightly when I saw it. And the headline is EasyJet admits data of 9 million hacked. So EasyJet has admitted this week that a highly sophisticated cyber attack has affected approximately 9 million of their customers. I hope that's not me. It said in uh, email addresses and travel details had been stolen and that 2,208 customers had also had their credit and debit card details accessed. Well, good luck with that one. Uh, the firm has informed the UK's Information Commissioner's Office while it investigates the breach. EasyJet first became aware of the attack in January. It told the BBC that it was only able to notify customers whose credit cards were stolen in early April. This was a highly sophisticated attacker. It took time to understand the scope of the attack and to identify who had been impacted, the airline told the BBC. We could only inform people once the investigation had been, uh, progressed enough and that we were able to identify whether any individuals had been affected, then who had been impacted and what information had been accessed. Uh, stolen credit card data, including the three-digit security code known as the CVV number on the back of your card itself, was also taken. NeasyJet added that it has gone uh, public now in order to warn the 9 million customers whose email addresses have been stolen uh, to be wary of phishing attacks. Uh, it said that it would not uh, it would notify everyone affected by the 26th of May. I can confirm they did email me today, this morning. Uh, it did not provide details about the nature of the attack or the motives, but said it is investigating suggested hackers were targeting company intellectual property rather than information that could be used uh, in identity theft. Uh, there is no evidence that any personal information of any nature has been misused. However, the recommendation of the ICO uh, we are communicating with approximately 9 million customers whose travel details were accessed to advise them of protective steps to minimize any risk of potential phishing. Uh, it says that we are advising customers or EasyJet advise customers to be cautious of any communications purporting or purporting to come from EasyJet or EasyJet holidays. Uh, it says here that people have the right to expect that organizations will handle their personal information uh, securely and responsibly. And when this doesn't happen, we will investigate and take robust action where necessary. Also warn people to be on the lookout for phishing attacks and directed them to advice on their website of how to spot such scams. Now, I did get the email this morning from EasyJet because we have obviously booked our flights for Malta in September oh, with EasyJet. Yeah. Quite a long email uh, that we got got uh, that was um, was signed at the bottom, very nice. I think everyone got the same email, generic email, but um, it did go through in quite detail and stuff uh, as to what would got and not gone on and what kind of things that you have to look out for. Now, Matt, am I right in thinking that these are one of these things is where you get one of those Mickey Mouse kind of emails that uh, comes from a, an email address that has absolutely nothing to do with EasyJet? Uh, Yes, is the, the the short answer, I suppose, to that. Uh, although I have to say that they are very good at disguising, um, you know, the, the actual email address itself. Now I notice um, with one one or two that I've had uh, recently, and it has made it, it. You know, you have to really know what you're looking for, and you, you've got to know like the email address that you're 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 trying to pick holes in essentially, because it would be very easy to if you don't really understand how domain names work and all that kind of thing. It may not be that uh, straightforward to to spot. I mean, it's. Um... I mean, I've, I've I must have had at least four or five thousand pounds worth of um, income tax uh, refunds oh, in the last few weeks. Oh, 
Lovely. from the inland revenue. And uh, you get the emails come through and you look at the email address and you can just instantly spot that is nothing to do with the dot gov. I mean, to be fair, the, 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 these things are, are not directed at you, though, are they? This is the thing. It's looking for those who are perhaps less tech savvy, who mm. are sort of looking, um, you know, I mean, people like, I mean, my mum's, even my mum's getting really good at spotting stuff like that now. But there is, she does at least have access. Yeah, but who, what a mess me. with her? Well, no, quite. No, <laughs> only foolish people, let's be honest. But uh, <laughs> the thing is, she's get, even she's getting quite good at um, sort of spotting things now. And she'll quite often say, this email address doesn't look right is it something i need to look at and more often than not now she's already spotted it herself um but i mean i mean nev is it what i mean what would you suggest um you know just from a from a sort of gen- generic point of view really how people can sort of spot these things and avoid um sort of being caught by phishing scams well my stock answer would be you should be flying ba but of course they went through their own <laughs> problems uh, not yeah, that, that long ago so that'd be a bit of a fail wouldn't it <laughs> having said all this of course you've got to remember that um these scams are incredibly convincing and whether it's things on the telephone which we've had and seen before um or whether it's emails you know these things even i think one would say even if you are reasonably tech savvy it is very easy to be caught out by things. And so, uh, as usual on the internet, um, a bit like newspapers sometimes, uh, everything uh, is not always what it seems. And, um, yeah, caution is is the name of the game here. But it's caught out, the, you know, the, the best people as well. Um, so, um, unfortunately, we live in a very... Um, uh, internet environment don't we so whether we do it our online shopping or whether it's our internet banking or that it's booking our flights whatever it is we are heavily reliant on the security of these things and um all i would say is that if any kind of organization think about having an it upgrade for security reasons then then go ahead go ahead and do it because uh, that, that will be helpful uh, to the rest of us absolutely yeah good good advice really but uh Yes, I mean, this is happening too regularly, though, isn't it? I mean, if it's not mm. EasyJet, it's, it's you know, I mean, you've already, B, BA, as you, as you said, Nev, have had uh, their fair share of IT outages and issues. Um, you I think know, the, the whole thing is book with your credit card if you can. You know, if you do have a credit well, card. Well, yeah, also, I, I, I mean, I, I do wonder if we are reaching a point where people like, uh, in fact, actually, one of the things that really annoys me in, in lots of ways, but I'm using the Ryanair website as a, as a, uh, an option here, but uh, not a lot of the sites, and, and I, I know I don't think Ryanair do either, where they don't store the card details on the website, so you can't store mm. it. And, and, and I know from previous, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, EasyJet I do allow you to store your card details on file, and I wonder if yeah. we need to get to a point perhaps where people are unable to do that. Therefore, there won't be such, you know, delicate information that can part, be part of their checkout process yeah, Matt, so is on their website like is you, get, to... you can um, click on a box that says store your details with us for future um, ticket purchases and yeah. I never click that I just yeah. I mean, Masha says something interesting in the, in the chat room, actually. She, said, she says uh, she always hovers over all the links in the email, and if they all direct to the same place, it's sure to be dodgy. And that's, uh, that's ah. very good advice, I think, definitely. That is yeah. a good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought See where it's coming from, but you can, you can do all that just as you hover over the um, email address itself it will, or, the, or the name of the email address, it will come up with the full email address, won't it? Wow. Yeah, that's, that is true. Yeah. 
Great advice. Great advice. Uh, anyway, um, we'd better it, move on. Exciting story for you next, uh, Matt, from uh, the lovely Ryanair. Uh, well, I don't know if exciting is the word, <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, it is uh, on Reuters. So it's uh, you know a, a, a good source, shall we say? Uh, and uh, the headline is: Unions say Ryanair exaggerating COVID threat to undermine conditions. So uh, the story is out of. Dublin and it says that several Ryanair trade unions say that they will resist an attempt to cut paying conditions for a five-year period citing management promises of a swift recovery from the coronavirus and the fact that its CEO has committed to a pay cut for just one year. So Europe's largest low-cost airline plans to cut 3,000 pilots and cabin crew and reduce pay by up to 20% to deal with the crisis, which has grounded almost all of its flights until July. In a letter sent by the airline to several unions, seen by Reuters, Ryanair said it was in a battle for long-term survival. Uh, But unions in key markets, including Ireland, Britain, Spain, Italy and Belgium, told members the measures uh, contradicted guidance to investors. Ryanair said on Monday it saw significant opportunities from the crisis and forecast its uh, uh, and forecast it would emerge stronger. CEO Michael O'Leary said he hoped 2019 passenger levels would return in 2021 with ticket prices recovering in 2022. These statements do not come from an airline that is fighting for its survival. The Belgian Cockpit Association said Ryanair will likely be one of the biggest winners of the after crisis, a memo uh, to its members had said. British Union Balper accused Ryanair in a memo of taking advantage of the crisis to lower long-term costs irrespective of when the pandemic is over. Several unions said that they wanted guarantees that if they accept pay cuts, redundancies would be avoided. The uh, Belgian union called for Ryanair to cut hours for all pilots to avoid the job losses. Eddie Wilson, who is the chief executive of Ryanair DAC, uh, Ryanair's main airline unit said that there were signs of blind optimism from unions which he said did not understand uh, Ryanair had to be prudent as it had uh, no one to bail it out if the situation deteriorated and obviously we know from previous stories um, that of course he's been quite sort of um, negative about some of the other airlines that have been receiving bailouts from like the EU commission and things haven't they so it's uh, it, uh, I do understand what he's see, saying here. I mean, I don't know. What do we think, guys? Is he correct? I mean... I'll, I'll chime in real quick on this one. I, I don't think this is a time to be doing any decisions that are going to last five years. So th- just recently, I've already seen passenger levels coming back up, and it's there is no doubt that the aviation world is going to look different. The airline industry is going to look different on the backside of this. But... Um, you know, we, we took a pay cut in, in our company. We've reduced some hours. Uh, the guarantees have reduced. Um, but as uh, I think Micah was saying last week, some companies are going to come out stronger on the, on, on the other side of this. Um, some will fold. We, we anticipate, at least here in the U.S., that uh, come September 30th, once the government subsidies and the government aid ends their assuming there's not a follow-on, um, some of these companies are, are not going to be able to make it through, which is going to make other companies uh, stronger. So it, it's just, this is, I hate to continue using the world, but it's an unprecedented time in the aviation industry. And I would not, if I was king of the world, I would not make any decisions that are going to last more than a year because it, 
it's just all going to look very different. You guys have a, a pretty robust, low cost European market over there. I, I, I don't think that, that the passenger levels will stay low f- for more than a year. That's just my personal opinion because it's, it's just such um, so much more common in Europe. And, and I was part of that, right? I mean, I was traveling all over the place in Europe and, and it's just a, such a common mode of transportation that I, I think you guys are probably going to see uh, an increase in passenger loads uh, quicker than we are here in the U S. So if I was, if I was he, I w- probably wouldn't commit to anything that's uh, that's more than a year out. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, you obviously you, you're right completely, Armando. I mean, it's just, but do you not think perhaps the attitudes towards flying? I mean, people are feeling a lot more nervous as a result of this, you know, and and people are. I mean, even when, I'm using shopping as an example here. I get really nervous now when I go shopping because of, frankly, idiots around me who, you know, everybody you, everybody around you is like doing their best to sort of keep a sensible distance, etc., etc., and then one muppet will bump into you as they try and go between you two down the aisle in the thing because you're you know the person in front of you is taking too long um you know i'm I'm using that as an analogy is it but do you think people are going to start feeling differently um about flying because of this pandemic i think it's going to depend on one thing and is if we see a second wave of the virus and i i think if we see that second wave and a second uh blooming effect people will be much more careful and it and it won't uh people will stay in i don't don't think that we'll see a a rebound in the industry if we don't see that second wave and that second bloom uh i hate to sound cynical but but i think we have pretty short-term memories i think people will want to get out people will want to start traveling again and you you know we'll see an, an effect for a year or two but i think we'll uh we'll go back to it you know Okay, yeah. And uh, Nick Anderson saying in the chat room here, actually saying that uh, once you give away something from your conditions uh, and remuneration is gone, uh, uh, sorry, once you give away something from your conditions and remuneration is gone, I don't know of any airline that has ever volunteered to return them. So, yes, it's like one of those, once you've lost those conditions, you're not going to necessarily be able to negotiate them back. Sure. And, and this is it. This is so interesting because I'm right in the middle of it. So our contract has changed without our consent. Uh, we have lost some benefits. We have lost some uh, perks in the job. And all of us are scratching our head because it gets complicated here in the U.S. at least because I'm Pittsburgh-based. My company's uh, headquartered in California. So do we fall under uh, California law or do I fall under uh, Pennsylvania law or the state that I reside in, which is North Carolina. And if I'm losing some benefits, well, how are we going to get those back? Cause we're not unionized in, in my company in our uh, part 135 aviation. Uh, we're not very few. I don't know of any of that are unionized. Um, yeah. How, how are we going to get those benefits back? I, it's a, it's a great, a great point. And it, it might be a strategic decision on behalf of the company to do this, you yeah. know, like Nick is saying, you know, to True. take advantage of something and, and yeah, 
Yeah. I'm just going to take a couple of uh, comments from the chat room here, actually. Uh, Stephen H is saying, tourism down, business flights down, but expats, so Poles, Spanish, etc., will want to visit family, uh, go for the weekend. Are they enough to keep said routes viable, which is a, a good question. And also Laura Davis is saying that she had a, a co-worker upset about being called back to work uh, because uh, she had a flight booked somewhere. Uh, I mean, it's. Uh, I think that's the thing. It's like if people aren't comfortable going back to work to do these things, of course, uh, you know, you're having to do it perhaps against your either your better judgment or your, your just, you know, how you're feeling about it because, you know, you don't want to lose your job, I guess. But, uh, you know, perhaps... Perhaps one of the other situations here is to make it so that if you don't have to, uh, you know, maybe use someone else if you're not entirely comfortable and be more lean. But I can't see anyone doing that. Uh, there is actually a little bit of an, uh, uh, an update to this story, which I will just cover very quickly. Uh, this was on RTE, um, one of the news networks in, in Ireland, saying that uh, Ryanair's louder motion said that it would close its main base in uh, Vienna after the transport union uh, refused to accept pay cuts for employees of the carrier hard hit by the coronavirus. Laudi deeply regrets the loss of more than 300 jobs for its uh, A320 team and the closing of Lauda's A320 base in Vienna on Friday, May the 29th. The carrier said uh, Ryanair had earlier threatened to close the base if it could not get agreement on salary cuts for Lauda Motion employees in Vienna. Uh, the airline has three other smaller bases, two in Germany, in, uh, in Dusseldorf and Stuttgart, and one in Palma de Mallorca in Spain. Um, so yeah, so as I say, pull it, pulling that. So it's uh, uh, say what you like about him; he will get his way one way or the other. That's the only thing, I suppose. One, can't you know. But before we before we move on, Matt, I will just say this week I saw a, a, one of those hideous morning breakfast shows where they have people phone in and moan about things, and people were moaning and moaning about Ryanair and about certain things that Ryanair have done during this pandemic, all to do with refunds mostly, but. And, they were, and a lot of these people are saying they will never, ever fly Ryanair, never fly EasyJet yeah, again. Yeah, they will. But I guarantee you, they'll be on there. Yeah. They'll be phone, they'll be, they'll be paying for flights because they're not going to want to go and pay four times the amount of money to go to Spain no. or wherever. No, exactly. Just to add a, a bit more excitement into the mix, if I Ooh. may. Um, the five o'clock groan, as I call it, which is the, um, <laughs> yes, yes. the government update on the coronavirus situation, which we have here in the UK at five o'clock uh, every weekday and four o'clock at the weekends. Um, they have announced that from the 8th of June, there is going to be a 14 day quarantine period for anyone entering the UK, apart from uh, some Irish citizens and for some people that are exempt uh, key wow. workers, medical staff, and etc. So that's going to put the cat amongst the pigeons. Uh, trying to negotiate that with the other end of the flight as well, isn't it? So mm. um, I don't know how that's going to play out. And they're going to keep it under review every three weeks. They said, but um, let's see how that plays out. But do, I mean, when you come back from, for example, you know, we're still fingers crossed that the Malta Air Show may well be going ahead, and you guys might be able to go out to that. Does that mean, though, based on on obviously this information now, when we get to September, are you going to be required to have to have two weeks quarantine before you can go back to work? No, I've got, I've got it all worked out. I'm going to do it by proxy. So, in fact, what I'm going to be doing is spending an extra two weeks in Malta uh, whilst they change the rules again. So, by the time I come back, um, I'll all be, um, all be good to go. I mean, it, it's a sound argument. I like it. Yep, yeah. Good, good I won't be stopping him. <laughs> good luck no. with that, everyone. <laughs> yes. So, Nev, sticking with you, Nev, um, some good news, I suppose, for, uh, for Boeing with this next one. 
it's about time, isn't it? And so uh, this is on the thepointsguy.com website, which is a good website, I have to say. I do like it. And uh, it says BA is adding a new member to its fleet. Uh, this week, BA will take delivery of its first 787-10 aircraft. So this is the newest variant in the Dreamliner family. And it will join the ranks of the uh, 787-8 and Dash 9 uh, that are already part of BA's fleet. Um, and as reported by Executive Traveller, BA's first Dash 10 is set to arrive in London on Thursday morning, which was yesterday. I don't believe it is actually here yet. I stand to be correct on that, but I'm not sure if it's actually here yet. Um, the aircraft, which was originally supposed to be delivered in January but was delayed, is now listed as ready for delivery, according to the All Things Boeing 787 blog. Uh, reportedly registered as a Golf Zulu Bravo Lima Alpha, the aircraft took two te- test flights in the past two weeks on May the, 18th, uh, May the 8th and May the 13th. The May 13th flight departed from Boeing's Charleston factory and circled for approximately one hour and 43 minutes over the Atlantic Ocean, according to flight tracking website Radar24. The aircraft is the first of 12 Dash 10s that BA has an order with Boeing. As previously reported, the Dash 10 will feature a four-class configuration. First, Club Suite, World Traveller Plus and World Traveller. Notably, the Dash 10s will feature eight first-class seats and 48 of the airline's latest club suite business class products. Uh, it's the first Boeing aircraft to have, uh, to have come delivered with the club suite installed rather than retrofitting it as they did on the 777s. Uh, when the airline was set to take delivery of the aircraft earlier this year, it announced that the Dash 10 would... F- First flight to Atlanta, however, given the current aviation environment amid the coronavirus pandemic, it remains unclear how the airline will utilise the Dash 10s in the near term. Uh, BA did not provide comment on its plans for the rollout of the Dash 10 into service. Uh, The Dash 10 is the longest of the three Dreamliner family at 223 feet long. As well as aesthetic and performance differences, the Dash 10 will have even more improved cabin pressure and air quality as well as lower noise. Additionally, this will be the first 787 where BA will have Wi-Fi installed on every aircraft. Uh, Eventually, these aircraft, as well as the existing fleet of 788s and 789s and the new Airbus A350s, these are going to replace uh, the BA's fleet of 747s. Uh, so given the uncertain circumstances, many airlines have pushed back deliveries of new aircraft. However, that's not entirely the case with BA and its parent company, IAG. Uh, given that a number of aircraft are already financed from a cash point of view, it makes sense for us to take the aircraft because we'll have paid pre-delivery payments. So when we take the aircraft and then put the financing in place, there is actually a cash benefit to us. Uh, that's the IAG CEO, Willie Walsh, commenting. And uh, I, I think it's, well, it's, it's good to have a, a bit of good news uh, here. And um, uh, I think that the... Um, taking delivery of the aircraft when they are obviously there's a a cost associated with it but i think it will mean that when things do return to some sort sense of normality they will be in a good position to uh, um to get to offer uh, the services again because uh, again they um the the 747 retirement i think is still due for 2024 in total they haven't they haven't accepted they haven't um accelerated that then i don't think they have no um but um yeah it's interesting to see how that how they're 
um, getting on with that. And of course, this uh, week, uh, there was also a new uh, Airbus A350-1000 delivered to BA uh, that came in on uh, the 20th of May. Uh, that's uh, Golf uh, X-Ray Whiskey Bravo Fox. Uh, so A350-1000, uh, similar to, in fact, identical to the one that uh, Carlos and I flew on to Dubai. Um, so that's good. And um, yeah, let's let's hope, because it's all about fuel economy right now, isn't it? Economical oh, yeah. um, flying for the airlines, even though gas prices are at all time low, I would imagine. Although they probably bought the the the, uh, the fuel probably a year ago, I would imagine. Mm. But um, it'll be interesting to see. So yeah, low low cost, uh, low operational cost flying is the name of the game at the moment. I think. Very true. It's it's the way things. I think, especially after what the crisis we're in now, mm. all that, I think most airlines are going to be looking at um, running massively fuel efficient and you know green aircraft. I should say. Yes. And I'm surprised I haven't been shouted at by by our producer here because I just realised that I played the video of the A350 uh, when I should, when <gasps> we were talking about the. 7-7. But isn't that standard media st- yeah, operating so, uh, procedure? I've started an accidental <laughs> new uh, new segment about which video Matt can play in the wrong place at the wrong time. So uh, apologies for that, everyone. The the video that I played was actually of the A350-1000 and not. Um, not the 787 so sorry about that whoops don't panic don't panic that'll be that'll all come out in the wash right okay so armando next up with you with uh, a really funky looking uh, cessna yeah this is from textron aviation on may 17th they announced the successful first flight of its new twin utility turboprop the cessna sky career we talked about this airplane a couple months ago as it was in development, but this milestone flight is a significant step towards its entry into service for a clean sheet aircraft, and it kicks off the important flight test program that validates the performance of the Sky Courier. Uh, according to them, it, today was an exciting day for our employers, our employers, our employees, our suppliers, and our customers. The Sky Courier performed exactly as we expected, which is a testament to the entire team of men and women who worked together to prepare for this day. I'm proud of the way the team has persevered through disruptions caused by COVID-19 and remained focused on getting us to this point. The Cessna Sky Courier will be an excellent product in its segment due to the combination of cabin flexibility, payload capabilities, superior performance, and low operating costs, as we just mentioned. Uh, our customers will be very pleased with what they experience from this aircraft. Uh, that was from uh, Ron Draper, the president and CEO of Textron Aviation. The aircraft took off from the company's east campus in uh, Beachfield Airport. Um, it was uh, piloted by Corey Eckhart, a senior test pilot, and uh, Aaron Tobias, a chief test pilot. They flew for two hours and 15 minutes. They evaluated the aircraft's performance, stability, control, propulsion, environmental flight controls, and avionics system. Uh, overall, the company seems to be pretty pleased with what they came up with. And uh, just for background, the Sky Courier is uh, powered by the PT6A-65 engine, so a very reliable engine. It's got two of them. Various configurations will be available, including a 6,000-pound payload-capable freighter, a 19-seat passenger version, or a mixed passenger-freight combination, all based on one common platform. Uh, it will have a Garmin G1000 NXI avionics suite and be able to cruise up to 200 knots with a maximum range of 900 miles. Um, so we had a, you know, another comment that uh, FedEx, uh, Federal Express, uh, Express, FedEx Express is uh, one of the 
largest users of the Cessna Caravan, and they're, they've got 100 orders for this aircraft with the initial fleet order of 50 with options for 50 more. Uh, this is, as you're seeing in the pictures there, it is. It's a, it looks a little bit like the Dornier uh, 228, I think it was, but uh, very capable aircraft, and, and we've talked about it before where it's just going to be revolutionary to the, to the cargo industry because there's a lot of uh, feeder aircraft that go in, mostly caravans right now. There's mm-hmm. caravans, there's a little bit of ATR-72s, and um, you know we've got some, some PTUK family members that fly cargo, but uh, I think this is going to be an excellent addition to that uh, that unique market. So I mean, yeah, this, this, this is this is essentially a, a, a Cessna caravan on steroids, isn't it? I mean, that's that's essentially yeah, what well, we've got here. The caravan is a tried and, and and proven aircraft. It's it's just a bulletproof airplane. It's used all around the world. It's incredibly reliable, incredibly capable. Um, but uh, so I'm sure that they're. Uh, uh, looking at, at some of the lessons learned from that program, which has been going on since the eighties. But, uh, but by all accounts, this is a clean sheet design. They, they've, they're going to build on the success of the caravan into this airplane. And of course, having two engines is going to make a, a huge difference. I, I remember living out in Clovis, New Mexico, and there was a guy that came in every day. He was a, a UPS, you know, feeder pilot. And he would come in every day at five in the morning and then hang around for 12 hours and then leave at five in the afternoon back to Albuquerque and between Clovis and Albuquerque, there's, there's some like 12,000 foot mountains and a caravan is unpressurized and the weather out, the, you know, we've talked about it. The, the weather out West is, is incredibly unpredictable and can be pretty violent. And this airplane will be able to get higher, faster, uh, carry more and be just a, a little bit more uh, safety reliable with the two engines instead of just the one. Because again, presumably it can obviously fly with just one, I guess, if there, if there is a, a problem mid-flight type thing. Yeah, it, it will be certified to do, you know, a certain amount of single-engine performance. Perhaps fully loaded at 6,000 pounds, it, it can't keep a climb going, but uh, but, but there's... It's uh, enough to control a landing or, or, a, or a ditch, essentially. Yeah, much much more than a single-engine. I mean, that all being said, the Caravan is an excellent gliding platform it's a Cessna at the end of the day mm-hmm. Armando this takes the uh, LD3 shipping containers on this well there, yeah there you go yeah, and then three and of that's those. A, yeah so that's going to be a huge improvement right there because the caravan you have to just floor load everything and strap it all down it's got different sections with nets that the pilot or, or a loader is responsible for so if they can do containers then then that's going to reduce the uh, the turn time on on some of these aircraft mm-hmm. quite a bit absolutely it's good and actually, before we move on, I just wanted to say congratulations to one, Miss Jody Ruger. She got married. So, uh, now, I, I've told you guys, we had her on the show, and afterwards I had a chance to meet her uh, in person, and we got to, a chance to hang out over at the Reno Air Races. Uh, she married probably one of the rock stars in, in Reno Air Racing, Sean Van Hatten. And uh, Sean is a just an awesome dude, just the, the, the most calm personality. And uh, he has, he's had his fair share of maydays out there at, at Reno Air Races, including one which was when he was briefing it, we were just like, man, we're just, it gives me goosebumps to think about it, but just so lucky. But Sean is a, an accomplished uh, race pilot. He is a test pilot. He's, he's been to test pilot school. He's a, uh, um, 
just an awesome guy. And Jody, if you guys haven't been tracking since we had her on the show, she's uh, up and coming in the air show circuit herself, uh, in addition to her airline career. So congratulations to Sean and Jody. I'm sure they're just going to be a power couple in aviation here. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet. Uh, just very quickly going back to what you said, uh, uh, producer John just giving me a, a picture. This is of the the layout you were talking about inside um, said uh, Cessna, Carlos. There you go. Oh yeah, uh, with uh, the uh, LD3s. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, there we go. Anyway, uh, next story is with you, my friend. Yes, the next story. This is uh, moving a bit, bit, a bit of a sadder story, really. Those of you who watch uh, the various news wires will have heard of this this morning. Happened, uh, broke earlier. And this is the crash of the Pakistan International uh, Airlines A320 at Karachi, uh, which was today, uh, impacted residential areas during final approach. So the uh, the aircraft in question, which uh, itself is, well, it's just over 15 years old, this A320, uh, was uh, registration Alpha Papa Bravo Lima Delta, performing flight PK8303 from Lahore to Karachi, Pakistan, with 90 passengers and eight crew aborted the approach to Karachi due to problems with the extension of the nose gear and performed a go-around while on a left downwind for a second approach to runway 25 left, uh, about a beam of the threshold of runway 25 left, the crew requested a turn left, immediately reporting they had lost both engines, the CFM-56s, and repeatedly declaring, or reportedly uh, declared a mayday about five minutes after the go-around. Uh, the RAT, or the Ram Air Turbine, deployed, and the tower cleared the aircraft uh, to land on either runway 25, uh, 25 left or 25 right. The aircraft, unfortunately, lost height and impacted a residential area uh, called Model Colony. Uh, featuring concrete multi-storey buildings on the second final approach east of the aerodrome, presumably while on a final approach to runway 25 left and burst into flames at around about 14.40 hours or 09.40 Zulu. Uh, on the ground near position, um, the coordinates to position for GPS, but we won't read all those out, about 1,350 metres or 0.74 nautical miles short of the runway threshold. Five uh, multi-storey houses, including the Allied School Airport campus, are being reported to have been de-roofed and set ablaze, debris distributed over the streets. Pakistan plane spotters report the aircraft attempted a belly landing, went around and subsequently crashed. Their photos of the last moments of the aircraft in flight show scrape marks on both the engines and the Ram Air turbine deployed. So this is from Actually, I've India got some today. photographs up. Uh, if you're looking at the, the YouTube feed, you can just see on the bottom of the end. Sorry, it's not the clearest picture there, but uh, you can just see the bottom where the, the cowling, the engine cowlings have clearly come into contact with something. Mm. Um, you know, there's, as I say, there's a, another. I'll see if I can uh, zoom the picture in, actually, and get a... So from India today, four, it says here 45 people have been confirmed dead in the incident. At least four have been pulled out from alive from the debris of the buildings. Uh, Bank of Punjab President Zafar Masood, who was a premium economy passenger on the flight, has survived. He's in hospital and spoke to his mother over the phone. The CEO uh, of uh, PAC PSU Urban Unit, Khalid Shiradil, was also among the passengers and survived the crash. Another passenger, Amar Rashid, who was on the plane, also survived and is being treated for his injuries at a nearby hospital. His family has said on social media, Mohammed Zabur seated on 8F 
has also survived the crash and has been admitted to hospital. Now, I must admit, after seeing the uh, the story broke this morning and reading the various uh, videos that were posted on social media channels um, from uh, phones and mobile phones and stuff, I mean, you'd be surprised if anyone uh, would have survived that crash. Mm. I mean, there were, there were actually some vid- videos of, available of the crash site, which we have chosen not to uh, to share um, but there will be links to them in the show notes if, if you do want to take a look but uh, yeah I mean it's a miracle that anybody can survive something like that certainly the, the, the spread of debris was quite vast uh, over a, a, a populated area and that's the the, the I think of... they have one engine failure is bad but I think they reported they had um, a dual engine um, issue right. is uh, not uh, not what you really need especially I mean... just after I mean, we yeah. There's uh, there's also in the picture there. There's actually uh, something to do with a Ram air turbine. I'm not 100 percent sure what that. Uh, would... So that that supplies power to basic instrumentation, right, and okay. I think I'm think I'm right in saying Nick. I think is in the chat room. He'll say I think it may provide a certain amount of power to a hydraulic system. I'm not sure, but I know it provides uh, power to to kind of critical um, right, systems on the okay. plane that need power. Okay, I mean, you know, there's, 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 it's clearly sort of coming. Con- con- they, they sort of, I don't know quite what the decision. Well, I, I guess all will become clear, um, sort of later on, won't it? I mean, this is at very early stages of investigation, of course. Um, so we'll have to see. Okay. So, okay, so moving on to uh, to the next story then, and uh, Matt, this one is for you uh yes indeed there's a couple of pictures to, to go with this story which i will pop up uh, when when i've done but uh, i find this story very amusing yeah it's um you know basically anything that means we that we might all be able to get back in the air and all of our wonderful friends who work in the aviation industry can all go back to their lives enjoying flying around and you know either being pilots or cabin crew or whatever so you know frankly any any glimmer of something that might be able to make that happen is great for as far as i'm concerned forbes.com is the website and this is in las vegas and they're saying that las vegas airport vending machines are selling ppe so uh, flying during the covid19 pandemic uh, and forget your personal protective equipment mccarran international airport will hook you up via brand new vending machines selling hand sanitizer gloves and face masks it's not unthinkable that somebody would show up at an airport and left behind one of these items that's almost essential now to air travel christine cruz who is a mccarran international airport spokesman told the uh, uh uh, Las Vegas Review Journal uh, a few days ago. So, uh, touting um, itself as the first airport to deploy PPE machines, McCarran Airport promoted them last week on its social media platforms. Uh, it's airport convenience at airport prices. <laughs> Three packs of disposable masks are being sold for around $7.50, while a reusable cloth mask will cost around $14.50. Uh, two sizes of the hand sanitizer can be purchased for $4.00. 25 and $6.50 respectively. A 10-pack of alcohol wipes costs $5.25. Uh, N25 masks run at $8.25 a piece and a 4-pack of disposable gloves is priced at $4.50. McCarran, the uh, nation's 10th busiest airport, recorded a 2.3 passenger, uh, 2.3 million passenger drop in March compared to the same month in 2019. That translates to a 53% decrease 
uh, in uh, arriving and departing passengers over a year. So, I mean, it's now I, I know some of the stories. Uh, one of the reasons for including this is, of course, some some um, airlines have uh, decided that they are going to supply. Um, sort of PPE or certainly face masks and stuff actually at the desk, aren't they, before they, uh, before, um, you know, and, and are going to ask people to, to wear them. But, uh, yeah, there's some, sort of, there's some fascinating looking, I've got a couple of pictures here I'll just uh, share with those, uh, if I may here, as, you know, it just looks like a vending machine like, like any other, but, um, you know, it's got sort of PPE, PPE in it. I mean, what do you think, Nev? What's, what's your feeling on, on this? Is, is, it, is it a step in the right direction to sort of getting everyone going? Uh, well, something has to be, doesn't it? It brings a whole new meaning to the expression a pack of three, doesn't it? Um, uh, uh, <laughs> Quite. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think that um, with, the, with what's going on at the moment, uh, anything which is ingenious or interesting or creative is usually a winner because, um, you know, th- th- these being the times they're in, we're in, um, you know, <laughs> there's got to be some, some good come out of it. So I think this is a good idea. I, I think um, if you're offering this sort of PPE and it, if it genuinely, you know, does some good, then fine. And it's available in a vending machine uh, format, then uh, and so much the better, I say. I think it's a great idea. And I think actually the prices, con- considering some of the um, overinflated prices that we've seen here in the UK during this, is uh, that's not, that's not you know, for the, for the purpose of being used at the airport when you're travelling through, I think that's a great idea. I think the price is good if it's the difference between you boarding or not boarding an aircraft. Yeah. Well, there is that. <laughs> there is definitely that. <laughs> so moving on to the next story, Nev. Well, this is uh, an airline that's had a few challenges over the last few months, and that's uh, Norwegian Air. And this is on the Forbes.com website. And it says that uh, following a chaotic few days for Norwegian Air, including a major restructuring, a share issue and a share price collapse, the struggling airline has a whole new range of owners. Uh, through a long list of subsidiaries. One of these is the Chinese state. In order to qualify for a substantial package of government support, Norwegian had to reduce its debt. So a debt-to-equity swap was one of the major pillars of the 12.7 billion Norwegian krona, which is $1.27 billion, restructuring and recapitalization packages. Uh, Several of the leasing companies that rent aircraft to Norwegian have now become major owners following the restructure. According to a notification to the Oslo Stock Exchange, the leasing company BOC Aviation has emerged from the chaos as one of the airline's biggest owners. The Singapore headquartered company now owns a 12.67 stake in Norwegian. The notification goes on to explain that the ownership chain of BOC Aviation, uh, it's controlled by Sky Splendor Limited, which in turn controlled by an investment arm of Bank of China. Follow the chain upwards and you reach the government of the People's Republic of China. So prior to the restructuring of Norwegian, neither BOC Aviation nor any of its controlling companies had any financial interest in the airline. The Irish leasing company Aircap also emerged from the restructure as a major owner, holding shares representing 15.9% of the share capital and voting rights. Aircap owns many of the Dreamliner aircraft previously used by Norwegian on long-haul routes between the US and Europe. The company previously said they were reluctant participants in the deal. 
and according to the agreement, the shares are locked for trading right, uh, locked for trading right away. Uh, they will be released in several parts later in 2020. Um, so before the Oslo Stock Exchange opened on Wednesday, Norwegian released a statement confirming the restructuring plan was completed and that the full package of loan guarantees from the Norwegian government had been approved. However, the value of the shares dropped by 50% in just 10 minutes after the exchange opened. They recovered slightly but were still down by around 30% at 10.30am. The fall in price was expected due to the drastic increase in the number of shares following the restructure. Uh, Norwegian CEO uh, Jakob Schram said that the restructuring gives the airline a platform to continue but pointed out the challenges ahead. He said the months ahead will remain challenging and with a high degree of uncertainty for the industry. Norwegian will still need to collaborate closely with a number of creditors as the company currently has limited revenues and the limited revenue looks set to continue for many months of course. Prior to the restructure Schram announced that the company would be operating in hibernation mode for the remainder of 2020 and that full operations will not resume until 2022. That tells you all you need to know about running an airline, doesn't it? Uh, how easy it is to get into, you know, those sort of debts. And was it Richard Branson or was it somebody else that said, uh, if you want to make a million uh, in an airline, start off with a billion? Uh, right. So, uh, but, uh, so it shows you that there's some yeah. ser- seriously large financial institutions mm-hmm. and even governments now getting involved in backing these airlines. Yeah, Amanda, you've flown Norwegian, haven't you? Yeah, I'm a big yeah. fan of Norwegian. I like their product. I like their crews. I like their aircraft. And, um, you know, I hope that they come out through this. Everybody's struggling through this. But I don't know. Just I have a personal affinity to Norwegian Airlines. I've used it quite a bit to get back and forth from the U.S. to the U.K., so, I mean, my 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 only concern is, is you know, that there, there seems to be uh, rarely are we covering a, a story involving Norwegian, you know, about them sort of running out of money or you know things like that. I mean, it's like, do, do, at what point do you you sort of stop bailing them out? If you see what I mean, this this is the the challenge, I guess, you know. But um, it's uh, yeah. I think this is why exactly why the the lessers are leasers lessers are coming to the rescue is there, you know, they're going to take us taking this and, and right. see where it goes from there. Okay. So, I mean, they might not being funny. I mean, these people wouldn't be willing to invest in it, you know, either by, you know, being, you know, involved in the leasing process or whatever. I mean, people wouldn't be willing to invest if they didn't see something in their, in their, their model. Do you know what I mean? So there must be, there must be something in it. Otherwise people wouldn't be, you know, willing to invest. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a banker by any means, but uh, it makes you wonder if the if the People's Republic of China, the government, is behind the Bank of China and they're now a major in- investor. Then, would, does that guarantee that we'll see Norwegian in the skies for the for the near future? I mean, what do you think, Nev? I mean, you know, is 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 it something worth saving? I mean, well. I think everybody agrees that doing low-cost transatlantic fares is challenging. Mm. Um, And there's no two ways about it. I think that the the, the model for that works well in North America. It works well in Asia, works well in uh, Australia, New Zealand, and works very well in Europe uh, for those sort of, you know, one to four hour flights uh, using A320s or 737s. When you start using Dreamliners and, you know, uh, A350s, if, if they get 
that kind of product one these days um it's a whole new ball game because you're into a whole load of uh, huge costs uh, associated with the aircraft and you've really got to make the um the load factors work and um if they don't and they take a bit of a hit and it, and they take a bit of a hit for something like the coronavirus thing mm. for example which affects everybody that's something which is difficult to recover from quickly isn't it yeah. and um there's there's a lot of extra stuff involved flying across the north atlantic in terms of costs and uh landing agreements and fees and and um you know uh, handling and all the rest of it yeah compared to some of the european operations I, so i i do hope they survive I've, I've got to say that because i think that the um it'd be nice to have a low-cost airline doing the north atlantic routes mm. Indeed, actually, I will. I will just say though, uh, John just put some information in the show notes here, saying that Norwegians have been struggling for a while. How? Um, oh, sorry, this was that was, uh, you know, we, we've covered that. Like, uh, but uh, it's investment by writing off debt in return for shares. Essentially, is how they're doing. So the shares yeah. are down by ninety three percent over last year. Um, and in case you were wondering uh, of the chain of BOC Aviation to the People's Republic of China, BOC Aviation is a company controlled by Sky Splendor Limited, which in turn is controlled by the Bank of China Group Investment Limited, which in turn is controlled by the Bank of China Limited, which in turn is controlled by the central, some word I can't pronounce, investment, uh, Hoijin, uh, thank you, uh, <laughs> Hoijin Investment Limited, which in turn is controlled by China Investment Corporation, which is owned by the Government of the People's Republic of China, BOC Aviation Limited. <laughs> and that tells you all you need to know, really, isn't it? <laughs> so that's uh, clear as mud then. Yes, excellent. <laughs> so there we are. We all, we all learned a lot from that story. It's very complicated. <laughs> You've done well, Matt. Well done. Big round of applause. Yeah, I feel like I was getting tested on a fuel system or something like that. It goes from... <laughs> That's the, uh, the ultimate check ride question. You're a drop of fuel. Where do you go from the fuel truck to the exhaust? Ready, go. Yeah. Go, 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 go. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, enough of this. Uh, uh, Armando, you're next. Yes. Yeah, guys, good news, bad news, good news, bad news. Uh, this one's bad news. So aircraft make engine maker Rolls-Royce has just announced that they're cutting at least 9,000 jobs because of the collapse in demand for air travel caused by the pandemic. We are proposing a major reorganization of our business to adapt to the new level of demand we are seeing from our customers, the company said. As a result, we expect the loss of at least 9,000 roles from our global workforce of 52,000 individuals. Uh, Rolls-Royce said its civil aerospace business, which is concentrated in the UK, uh, makes engines for Boeing and Airbus and will bear the brunt of the restructuring uh, the division accounted for more than half of the group's revenue in 2019. We haven't completely concluded on exactly where the job losses will be because we have to consult with our unions, but it's fair to say that our civil aerospace business, approximately two-thirds of the employees which are in the UK at the moment, said the CEO Warren East on the BBC. Uh, the company said it will take several years for the commercial aerospace market to return to the levels seen just a few months ago, and it needed to adjust its capacity to meet the reduced demand. And for me, this is an example of, you know, we tend to talk about the crews, the flight crews, the pilots, the cabin crew, but this is a second and third order effect of this slowdown in air travel where um, many, many uh, contributors to the industry are, are affected by this. Mm. 
Yeah, it's. Um, I guess it's one of those, isn't it? It's a little bit inevitable if people aren't flying, if people aren't therefore, you know, you know, the, the deliveries aren't uh, being made. You know, apart well, from uh, and also, I mean, rolls have really been through it, haven't they? What with the Trent one thousand engine yes, problems, now this, and it's it's the perfect storm, isn't it? It's mm. the uh, the holes in the Swiss Swiss cheese lining up. Yeah. No, I, sp- I suppose it's not. Doesn't help as well as the three eighties. You know, you've got four yeah. of those on a three eighty. If you're getting rid of the three eighties and going on a two engined aircraft, then that's essentially, you know, yep. that's a big loss of engines there. Sure. Yeah, it is. Uh, of course, we did cover it sort of briefly on three one seven episode three one seven. Uh, where we said that the airplane maker employs 52,000 people worldwide, 23,000 of which are staff here in the UK. So it's going to be quite a, you know, it's going to be quite a chunk of that, isn't it? It's, uh, it's not, not, not good, is it? Anyway, we need to sort of uh, try and keep things light. Carlos, uh, we'll leave you to move on with. Yes. What, what can I describe is a, a, a spate of these of late. <laughs> Yeah, actually, Matt, I was going to just quickly yeah. say, I love that background. That's very nice. Right. Okay, yes. I think it was sent to us by John Jester. Is that correct? Yes, yes. yes. John Jester, thanks yeah. for that. He didn't like the, the, the um, machines from Hogwarts, did he? Egg, egg whisks or whatever he said, yeah. Egg whisks or whatever he's calling <laughs> there, so there we are. So we've got an atmosphere behind me instead. <laughs> so this next story, uh, we, we've all had a few um, uh, wardrobe malfunctions in our times, but this is something a fire suppression system malfunction so as matt said we've had about 50 million of these in the last few weeks i think it's a a weekly occurrence now (laughs) but this is on simpleflying.com and a dramatic video uh, circulating shows a fire suppression system malfunctioning in an american airlines hangar holding two boeing 787 dreamliner aircraft both aircraft were quickly covered in special firefighting foam and the video shows the fire suppression system malfunction that covered the aircraft and the foam is seen sprang directly onto the aircraft and some other equipment however there does not appear to be any people in the videos or underneath the foam sprays and the incident caused quite a mess and uh, it's safe to say it did, it did cause a mess because the videos are terrible. But uh, Simple Flying reached out to American Airlines for additional details. American confirmed that there was no damage, no injuries to any employees. And the malfunction, however, does require a massive cleanup. You think? Uh, <laughs> for safety reasons, aircraft hangars are equipped with fire suppression systems. The foam method is especially effective in the case of a fire. It can be quickly released and effectively cope most of the hangar and drastically reduce fire damage. In a hangar, there are plenty of obstructions like aircraft, scaffolding jacks, and other equipment that can make traditional firefighting techniques difficult. Moreover, any other fire involving jet fuel can cause significant damage. The motto, better safe than sorry, registers strongly in the aviation industry. It's unclear what caused the incident to occur. Likely the system was triggered accidentally. However, sometimes this foam system is set off intentionally either as a real-world emergency or a test for demonstration, for example. Here is a fire, there's a video here that uh, on this story, which you can click on the links will be in the show notes. Uh, there's a story here, a video that uh, shows uh, a WestJet 787 hangar uh, with the foam suppression system. 
So these planes will be likely to stay on the ground now for a little while longer after being cleaned. American engineers will probably need to inspect both the aircraft thoroughly. Any leftover residue could be consequential during flight. Incidents like these have occurred in the past. A couple of weeks ago, you may remember, on this show we uh, talked about BA that suffered a similar event on a 777 in a hangar. And at the end of March, Delta uh, had a hangar incident at LAX where they suffered an accident with foam discharge. Now, I was literally going to say this, and then uh, uh, Nick Codling in the chat room here basically beat me to it. He's saying, is it just me, or does anyone else just want to run right through that? Foam party! Yes. Yeah. 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 I've been to many. I've DJ. Been to, I can say I've been to many a phone party back in my youth. You know, that was, you know. Do, like, do you some, think we should try this Saturday, Matt? What phone party? Oh phone, yeah, the kitchen, <laughs> the kitchen I disco. Mean, what? 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 So we're going to ask all of your, uh, your all of your loyal shameless plug. To, shameless plug. Honestly, uh, what, what all they got to do? Put fairy liquid in the dishwasher? What? Um, you know, how are they going to do it at home? Like, what, is what, that what, how you do it? Uh, I mean, that's ah. one method, possibly. I don't know. Worth a try. Okay. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with aviation. We'll move that on. might uh, get uh, me a divorce <laughs> if I do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need any help. Let's be honest. It's <laughs> uh, like Mash is also saying phone party. Uh, the yes. For some reason, this system, that's the only thing with this system. Look, it misses out the, the, the emoticons on the end. We'll have to look into that. That's, but okay, guys, that's what we're going to do then. For the 400th show, we'll hire a hanger and we'll have a big phone part. I'll oh, break out my like... um, mankini for that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I like <laughs> I've got images in my head now. Yeah, <laughs> wow. yeah, we're going to have to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, John's got his work cut out this week, clipping all of these uh, errors, shall we say it. <laughs> Never mind. All part of the fun. Uh, who's so going Matt, next? Oh, it's the, me, Matt, it? oh. the, the next story, yeah, this one is, uh, <laughs> oh. this one's for you. This is all about uh, Etihad. Yes, indeed. Uh, Simple Flying is the uh, website, and the headline is Etihad Operates uh, Historic First Flight to Israel. So uh, Etihad Airways today made history, operating the first flight by United United Arab Emirates airline to Israel. The flight carried 14 tons of urgent medical supplies bound for Palestine. So the current pandemic has seen its fair share of record-breaking flights. However, today saw the first known flight of an airline registered in the UAE uh, that has ever touched down in Israel, according to Reuters. The historic flight was carrying medical equipment such as PPE and respirators. The United Nations arranged for 14 tons of such aid to be transferred uh, from the UAE into Palestine. So the flight details tracking uh, today's flight to Tel Aviv proved to be tricky indeed. While Flight Radar 24 has a record of an Etihad flight touching down in Tel Aviv at 21.12 local time, the flight tracking service appears to have no history of the actual flight. However, Flight Aware does seem to have been able to track the flight. Uh, the service shows a path for the plane from Abu Dhabi to Tel Aviv, uh, albeit with a break-in signal in the middle. Uh, the aircraft was reported as leaving Abu Dhabi uh, at around 16.03. Uh, the flight tracking service then shows the aircraft flying up through the Persian Gulf before flying over Kuwait, Iraq and then either Syria or Turkey. This part of the flight was not tracked before flying under very d- undirect southerly, uh, southerly route across Cyprus and down to Tel Aviv. The flight landed in Tel Aviv at uh, after 4 hours and 11 minutes at 0914 local time, FlightAware confirmed to 
simple flying that the aircraft utilised was a A6 Echo Yankee Papa, uh, an Etihad Airbus A330. So it's a historic flight. The, U the UAE, along with many Middle Eastern nations, doesn't have diplomatic relations with Israel. As such, commercial flights don't operate between the two countries. However, in December 2018, we reported that Oman had operated its airspace, uh, had opened its airspace to Israeli flag carrier El Al. Um, in recent years, the ice uh, between Israel and the Middle East has been gradually thawing. Today's flight could show a further thaw in relations between the UAE and uh, Israel. Uh, specifically, uh, the trip was the first known to have been operated to Israel by a United Arab Emirates airline. Uh, could this pave the way for future flight operations? That's something we cannot answer. So it was a cargo of medical aid. Uh, according to Reuters, the United Nations has organised for a shipment um, of medical aid, including PPA and 10 respirators, to be sent from the UAE to Palestine. Um, and there's a, a sort of a, a brief statement here. Etihad Airways continues to operate many humanitarian flights, providing such needed aid to nations within its network and beyond. Many Etihad passengers, uh, passenger aircrafts are being utilised for belly cargo only to deliver commercial freight and other supplies across its global network. Etihad uh, Airways operated a dedicated humanitarian cargo flight from Abu Dhabi to Tel Aviv on the 19th of May to provide medical supplies to the Palestinians. Uh, the flight had no passengers on board. Um, I mean, what, what do we make of this story then, guys? How, how do we, how, you know, this, I mean, this, is, this has got to be good news, isn't it? Do you, do you think it will thaw relations perhaps between, between the countries? Yeah, I think so. And I, these, um, there's so many flights that can't take place because there's no diplomatic uh, relations between various countries and no arrangements set up uh, to do that. So when, when there's a breakthrough like this, and of course the thing can get chopped from if that all falls apart, unfortunately, but mm. uh, I think that's a, a very good news story uh, where they're starting to operate a service which traditionally or previously couldn't be operated uh, because the governments uh, were barely talking to each other. Indeed. It's got to be a, got to be a step in the right direction, as you're saying. So moving on to the next story, story number 11, this is this week, Nev, and uh, some more sad news, I think, for A380 lovers. Yes, like Armand, Armando was saying, anyway, it's good news <clears throat> followed by a bad news story and, and vice versa, isn't it? This is on the uh, aerospcworld.com. Uh, we mentioned it earlier, Air France are going to retire its entire A380 fleet. Uh, from service and the French flag, flag carrier had already planned to retire these aircraft uh, in 2022 before the outbreak of the current coronavirus pandemic eventually the carrier announced to retire them in response to this crisis uh, along with the announcement of the end of the A uh, A380 ops uh, the uh, Air France KLM uh, consortium also announced a 500 million euro write-down to reflect the early retirement of the uh, Super Jumbos. Uh, the airline also stated this expense will be booked in the second quarter of 2020 as a non-current cost slash expense. Uh, Air France operated 10 of these aircraft at its peak time. However, the carrier had already retired one of them, which made its final journey to Knock in Ireland. Now, after this, this retirement of the first 380 earlier this year, this left the French carrier with nine uh, units uh, at the beginning of the corona uh, crisis. Uh, two different
different ownership types are involved with Air France's Airbus A380 fleet. Five of the A380s are owned by Air France on a finance lease, whilst the remaining four are on an operating lease owned by Dr. Peters Group. Uh, these super jumbos will be replaced by newer, more fuel-efficient and cost-saving aircraft, including Airbus A350s and Boeing 787, whose deliveries are ongoing. Um, I don't know whether you get the same um, uh, adverts that I do um, <laughs> in your uh, oh, yes. stories. As I come to the end of this advert, uh, end of this story, the, the very next thing that it shows me is an advert. It says, "Fun bras for women over 50." I don't know if that's Helpful. I think that may be more to do with your search history, Nev. I've got to be yeah. honest. Um, Perhaps it might be. Perhaps it might be. You never know. Because you know, it, you know, it, you know, it's all about the cookie data, you know. I think, I think that half the stories that Carlos finds in some of these websites, I, I pause when I'm reading them because of the advertisements that come on yeah. there. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't make eye contact with anybody right now. But actually, just going back seriously for a second, I mean, the, um, do you remember the high-fly uh, A380 mm. that we saw at Farnborough? Yes. Talking to the folks there. Now, I wonder if they will retire theirs early or whether they will actually have utilisation. on it. We, we talked about it on the 300th episode. And one of the problems that they have is that there's only a certain number of airports set up to, uh, to, to deal with the aircraft. So, um, yeah, and of course, the other thing now is with what's happened with the coronavirus pandemic is um, utilisation of the aircraft themselves and the uh, load factors. Uh, because if you want to whiz around in an A380, you don't want to have... 200 people on it, do you? You'll no. need 450 people on it or, or very close to it. I'll tell you what, if you were going to start an airline up now or in a year's time and you wanted to have just a pure A380 fleet and you had the money to buy them, the second-hand market would be, mm. is going to be, well... Yeah, mm. absolutely. I'm just going to whiz through a couple of comments actually in the chat room here. And I'm with Tony, and I know we covered, I'm very much with Tony S on this one. And we covered this um, sort of, I think, was it last week where we were talking about the A380F? And you're saying surely there has to be some money to be made from an A380 cargo conversion. When you think, I mean, how popular the 747 is for, for cargo. I mean, you know, and it's still very much beloved by by most cargo operators uh, and that, you know, I'm amazed that there hasn't been more of a, a thing, um, you know, for, for the freighter version of this, the A380F. And Aaron P is sort of saying, actually, the A380 will be kept for slot-constrained airports. Uh, he's suggesting uh, London Heathrow as a, as a possible example. I don't know. I mean, is there any legs in that, Nev, do you think? Yeah, certainly. If where, where there's a uh, airport with slot constraints, although of course at the moment they're down to single runway operation yes. and not a problem. But when we all come back to, and obviously it was you know ninety nine percent capacity, mm. um, but then you've got the other thing going on with BA still talking about pulling out of Gatwick altogether, which I, I yeah. do find amazing I, I will be really surprised if that yeah. actually goes ahead but we'll have to see um it certainly solves that that problem but of course the a380 you don't want to use it on you know the london to frankfurt route you no. want to use it on the hong kong singapore and, yeah. and beyond routes and then west coast la and onwards to new zealand probably so. yeah that's true yeah. Uh, also a, a compliment well I, I i guess it's a backhanded compliment possibly nev from lane street in the chat room says there's no way that nev has 50 inch chest so there you are that's that's i think it's, uh, that's that's <laughs> is a very true statement however <laughs> the way i'm going with this lockdown and food consumption that right. that, that could happen at any moment anything's and possible yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, John Jester <laughs> in the chat room is saying, but not the BCFs. They're like the uh, uh, 747 Freighter versions because of the lift. Uh, or they like, the, sorry, the 747 Freighter because of the lift. Uh, they don't like the BCFs because of weight and handling restrictions. God, there's always somebody who has to sort of spoil the <laughs> spoil the party, isn't there? With hey, sensible let, excuses. Let's, but, let's be honest here. That the, the, the A380 is never going to look as good as the 74, oh, whatever you know. do to I don't know. Sorry, I'm on the agree. What are you going to say? <laughs> I, I, I'll agree with that, right? The, the 747 will always be the queen of the skies. But I just want to, you know, John has become a, a contributor to the show, and I always appreciate his comments in the chat room. I want to remind everybody that I've known John Jester for almost 30 years. Um, he was one of my uh, mentors, or one of my bosses, and I've always kept in touch with him over the the evolution of my aviation and military career. So I just want to say how happy I am that, that John is in the chat room and, and contributing to both us and that other podcast, uh, which you can uh, say it out loud. It's all right. We don't mind. <laughs> oh, I suppose the APG guys. <laughs> I've never heard of what the, Oh, what the airplane geeks. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The airplane geeks. <laughs> now it's just always really good to see him in the chat room and, and he's just a wealth of knowledge. And one thing with John, uh, in the near future, we're going to feature a segment with him uh, about his role in the, um, I guess, the investigation process of, of how, how a, a company analyzes uh, mishaps and, and the toll oh, that wow. it takes on both the company and, and, uh, and the industry. So uh, I, you oh, guys should be looking forward to that. Yeah. yeah, we'll have that in the next, in the next sort of month or two. And uh, I'm sure it'll be just uh, both enlightening and sobering at the same time. Brilliant. Can't wait for that. Actually, while you've got the mic, uh, Armando, you are up next. Yeah, we'll go to a good story. So the Swiss (laughs) Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich have found a way to make fuels from sunlight and air. I think we have both of those. In, uh, yeah. <laughs> at least at the moment, uh, I don't think the pandemic has done anything to those. Yeah. <laughs> Other so than for, make air poisonous, of course. Well, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> uh, so first to the door is Lufthansa. The Lufthansa group of companies are joining the scientists to help prepare these technologies for production on an industrial scale into the future. Uh, ETH Zurich found how to make liquid hydrocarbon fuels from water with the help of concentrated sunlight. I believe that's probably like concentrated orange juice. Uh, During the process, (laughs) CO2 and water are extracted directly from the ambient air and split using solar energy, according to the Institute. The output of the process is a synthesis gas, which can be subsequently processed into kerosene, methanol, or other hydrocarbons to be used as jet fuel. The fuel only releases as much CO2 as was previously extracted from the atmosphere, as Lufthansa highlights. On May 18, 2020, the Lufthansa Group and ETH Zurich uh, announced the signing of a joint letter of intent for possible cooperation to ultimately help accelerate the market launch of sustainable aviation fuels. Uh, Lufthansa Group subsidiaries Swiss and Edelweiss are planning to cooperate with the scientists in the area of technology and economic efficiency. More importantly, the companies plan to settle for SAF quotas, although only later. Uh, there you go. So this could be the next leap in aviation. Um, I think we're we're on the cusp of um, a revolution in electronic 
electronic electric propulsion. And I think this uh, this biofuels or sustainable fuels is probably going to be the next uh, revolution I mean, this, this, after this that. This could so. have sort of like a knock-on effect for um, like, you know, transportation in general, though, couldn't it? I mean, you think, uh, you, sure. know, like, ro- you know, road users as well could, could benefit, if they can generate it in enough volume, um, you know, could could have interesting you know, implications, anything to make fuel cheaper, frankly, uh, but perhaps I'm a bit... Yeah, bad. absolutely. You know, when you think about kerosene, methanol, and hydrocarbons, like that's, that's, uh, could potentially be the, the way we fuel the future. Mm. Ooh. Yeah, you should tag that. Yeah, Fuel absolutely. the future. Yeah. John, PTUK. Clip that, please. Clip that, please. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Very good. And we'll watch this with great interest, see if anything, uh, anything comes up. There we are. That's, that's the commercial done then. Certainly is. Next thing you know, I'll be producing fuel from thin air. Anyway, moving swiftly on to the next part of the show, and uh, we're going to hand things over to Nev, because Nev's got a very special uh, little segment for us again this week. Yes, thanks, Carlos. Well, as you know, uh, we're not doing air shows at the moment. Uh, Having said that, the Malta air show is still on, so I'm really hopeful uh, that we will be going there at the end of September. Whether we'll get back or not is another story, but that will suit you, Carlos, quite nicely, won't it? I'm sure. uh, (laughs) We'll have to see how that goes, but uh, fingers crossed. But as I say, there's no uh, aviation shows going on in the UK at the moment at all, so what I've done is put together another highlights package for your enjoyment. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3. Hello everyone, Nev here. Oh, I enjoy myself so much, man. There's some lovely people here, you know. Yeah, shame I haven't met any of them yet. Right, okay. Yeah, all strangers. I have not had one drink since I've been here. I've had probably dozens, maybe even over a hundred. Now, of course, this is the most important part on any Airbus aircraft, as far as Al is concerned, somewhere where he can eat his lunch. Very much so. Um, There will be countless thousands of pilots out there who've uh, tried to wrestle with their dinner on a tray on a paper tech log, only to spill their soup or whatever they happen to be eating all over their lap. I'm feeling very much at home here. Um, For those of you who aren't familiar with the the general Airbus concept, the idea is is that you can cross the entire range. Perfect timing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Nev, I'll I'll tell you what, every time you put one of these together, I, I I watch them three or four times at least, and I just, it's so many... Honestly, the memories are so great, and we had such good time. We met so many fantastic people, but it just—it does bring a bloody tear to my eye. Yeah, it's, we've had some great times at these air shows. Not just with the you know the aircraft flying, but the, the meetups that we've had, the interviews that we've done. So we're fortunate, and we've got all this back catalogue to uh, to fall back on as well. But I, I have to say, I would prefer to be going to the real events, uh, rather than doing this, but, uh, nonetheless, there'll be another highlights package next week. Can't wait. I really can't. 
Gonna be good. Matt, you've, you've, your T-shirt has been noticed in the chat. Oh, is room. it? Oh, I'm gonna have to stand up now, aren't I? Okay, here we go. <laughs> right. So, uh, yes, uh, Carlos dropped off a, a, t- a social, socially distancing, obviously, dropped off a T-shirt uh, on me this week. Uh, Nick Codling's just spotted it in the uh, the chat room here. Hang on, it's, uh, I'll see if I can get close enough. Uh, it's gonna work great on an audio uh, podcast area. Anyway, what it does say is. Uh, have you tried turning it off and on again? It's an IT crowd T-shirt. It's uh, very appropriate for me. Let's be honest. Anyway, uh, nobody really cares about that. Shall we? Move, shall we move on? <laughs> so we're going to hand things over. Oh, it's a great T-shirt. We're going to hand things over to uh, to our resident military expert, Armando. All right, guys. Let's uh, let's knock out some military. Let's do it. Fellas, uh, all of us in aviation and in our own personal lives have those people to which we look up to. And uh, Nick Anderson, who is just a wonderful part of this aviation podcast community and specifically APG and us, um, he, he's had an, envi- an enviable aviation career and he's just a wonderful person to be around. I think all of us just cherish every time, every minute that we spend with Nick, uh, just because uh, He's just a wealth of information and just a, a great person um, to be around. And uh, I think it's important for all of us to to have those mentors in our lives. And it's it's great to have a little bit of insight into the the people that shaped Nick into the person that he is. Um, so uh, our PTK family and and the entire rest of the aviation podcast community would like to extend our condolences to Nick um, on the passing of his father Andy. Um, and and there's no better no better way to honor him than to use Nick's own words. So I'll just read from from something that Nick wrote. Uh, Andy became a part of a generation of pilots who took on responsibility well before they were ready, but who rose to the challenge and surpassed it. Uh, he was anxious to get into the fight. Uh, he left the beautiful shores of Australia to join the Royal Air Force uh, chaps who were standing alone against the might of Hitler. Uh, Rather than wait for the opportunity to become a glamorous fighter pilot, he chose his first chance to get into the fight a sun, on the Sunderland Flying Boats of Number 10 Squadron, Royal Australian Air Force, based at Plymouth in the west of England. Eventually, as the cheers of VE Day rang around Plymouth Hoe, the future could be considered. It started back home on the Douglas DC-2 out of Perth in Western Australia, but after several frustrating years, his career Continued back in England with the Vickers Viking from Blackbush Airport. This poorly equipped aircraft, barely able to warrant the description of an airliner, took passengers thousands of miles across the empty, scorched expanse of the African deserts and through the fertile plains all the way down from London to Harare. No GPS in those times, no up-to-the-minute weather forecast, just a map and a compass. With the arrival of the jet age came the chance to captain one of the world's most beautiful airliners, the Vickers VC-10, one of the most advanced airlines in the world. At the time, it was a delight to fly. He left the country to work in Kuwait, and after a while was the 707 fleet manager. He fulfilled his dream to fly one of the most wonderful airliners of this era, the the Boeing 747, an aircraft that he loved. Um, And again, that's just a quick excerpt from uh, from something that Nick wrote up 
Um, so Nick, you are a part of our family and, uh, you have so much of an influence that, that you probably don't even realize. So, um, our condolences to you, sir. Mm, Absolutely. I think we speak for, for everyone who's uh, listening to this, uh, uh, you know, this show, uh, any, anyone in the community that, uh, obviously we're all thinking of you, Nick and, uh, much love as always. I definitely agree with Richard Adams in the chat room because I, I did listen to those interviews that, um, that Nick done with Andy as well. And they were very, very good interviews that he done with his father. I also get the feeling that uh, Nick takes after his dad as well. And uh, whilst it would have been fascinating to have uh, spoken to his father, we we're almost not, not quite the same thing, obviously, but just talking to Nick and listening to some of his uh, history of flying both in the military and commercially. You, you can see uh, where he got his passion for aviation from, can't you? Absolutely. Um, so with that, guys, if, if you don't mind, we'll, uh, we'll carry on. This is uh, another sort of sad story. This, it's just been a, a weird week in the aviation uh, military demonstration team world. Mm. Um, so this, this first story comes as from Canada and you know, most everyone in the aviation community already knows this, but I'll, I'll read a little story from uh, military.com in Vancouver, British Columbia, a team of military investigators has arrived uh, on last Monday to begin searching for answers into the deadly snowbirds jet crash, which the aerobatics team commander described as a confluence of worst case scenarios and an absolute worst nightmare. The eight-member flight investigation team was deployed from Ottawa to Columps, the, uh, where one of the Snowbirds Tudor jets went down shortly after takeoff. The Snowbirds have been in the, in the midst of a cross-country tour aimed at boosting morale during the COVID-19 pandemic. One, one Canadian Armed Forces member, Captain Jennifer Casey, a spokesperson, was killed while another, Captain Richard McDougall, was piloting the aircraft, and he was... Uh, uh, he sustained serious but non-threatening, uh, non-life-threatening injuries. Uh, during a news conference at uh, 15-wing Moose Jaw in Saskatchewan, where the Snowbirds are based, uh, Team Commander Lieutenant Colonel Mike French said that the cross-country tour known as Operation Inspiration had been suspended while the team's Tudor jets are subject to an operational uh, pause. Uh, the spokesman would not speculate as to the cause of the crash, but insisted that safety is the Snowbird's number one priority. He added that each aircraft is torn down and rebuilt about every two years and subject to regular maintenance checks prior to every flight. The crash was the second for the Snowbird since October and the second involving Royal Air, uh, Canadian Air Force aircraft in as many months after a cyclone helicopter went down in the Ionian Sea, April 29th, killing all six people aboard. Um, we'll just kind of leave it, leave it there. Yeah. Uh, Tony, Tony's actually saying in the chat room, so sad because uh, actually she was at Riyadh in uh, 2018. Yeah. Uh, Captain Casey was a uh, public affairs officer. So she travels with the team. She is the, the face of the team um, to, to, you know, for lack yeah. of a better term, she's, uh, she's the one that interacts with both the public and the media. Mm-hmm. Um. So that being said, uh, Matt, if, if you're uh, ready to play this video, this is, uh, is one of those things where we continue to say that there is an inherent risk to aviation in aviation, but uh, these teams and some of these military operations are at the 
on the cutting edge of and, and on the edge of the performance envelopes of the aircraft. So this uh, this video that we're about to play out is from the Thunderbirds. Um, they were also doing a flyover in support of the COVID-19 healthcare workers. And you can see their exceptional skill as they experienced a, uh, a wind, what, what is likely a wind shear. 400 miles an hour, just sitting still. And they blend in, you know, they're white, they blend in with the background there. It can be extremely difficult to pick them up, but you could tell this shot is really clear as they fly by. They're just coming up right now on uh, the Newport Beach area. And from there, uh, I think we're, what we're gonna see is them make a, a bit of a turn. Uh, once they get a little south of Newport, they're going to go east and head out towards Riverside Ooh, County. And there's Ooh. the turn there. Boy, look at Ooh. that. That is some cool stuff. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's, okay, so, yeah, so, that, that's so what phenomenal. happened there, yeah, Armando? So what, what's that other. all about? Uh, you know, the best of the best right well, here. It's, uh, it's likely that they, they just experienced some kind of wind shear or some kind of event. Um, I, I believe that's Thunder, Thunderbirds 3 and 6. Mm. And as soon as this, the formation started sort of uh, coming apart, you saw their exceptional uh, discipline in flying. As soon as he saw that airplane, not his wingman, not not uh, where it's supposed to be, he immediately conducted a brake maneuver uh, to to get some some space between him and and the other guy. But uh, it, it just it's a, a testament to to the skill of these guys and the the amount of concentration that goes into formation flying. Mm. Um, yeah. Apparently, yeah, uh, yeah uh, John's just saying in my ear, apparently there was uh, an aircraft in the flight path, um, which is why they were having to do it. Um, a little bit of a little helicopter, apparently, is, is uh, how come they had to take uh, or had to take evasive action. Yeah, and, and we're going to talk about that here in the, the last uh, story of this segment mm. where we'll talk about the Blue Angels. But um, we'll, we'll just talk about another team. The Red Arrows, my oh, favorite. I've heard of them. Oh, yeah. gosh. Oh, yeah. Did I just say that? I didn't say that. Yeah, yeah my favorite, the, the Red Arrows, they're, uh, they've just announced this week that they are moving from RAF uh, Scampton up to RAF Waddington. And if I remember right, I've been up to Waddington once. It's a beautiful part of the UK, isn't it? I actually did the... my first ever audio piece into Plain Talking UK uh, from the Waddington Air Show, believe it or not. I sent Carlos an audio clip long before I actually joined the oh, team yeah. back in the day. <laughs> yes. One of these yeah. days we'll find it. It was probably horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> you, guys, you guys can correct me, but it's up in Yorkshire, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sort of like the East Anglia end, if you like. It's not sort of deepest Yorkshire, but uh, yeah. Apparently, it was episode uh, thirty-one. I'm being told in my ear was, uh, <laughs> wow. was the episode, so that gives you an idea of how long ago it was. <laughs> well, uh, uh, this is uh, estimated to save the team about uh, three billion uh, pounds in savings by the year 2040. But uh, if I if I remember correctly, that the Yorkshire Dales are just beautiful and it's yeah. i i would ride my motorcycle over there and it's just one of the 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 prettiest parts you just of just stop uh, being so damn cool please I'm on there. it's exhausting <laughs> <laughs> i have a funny story about that though my motorcycle went dead because i i put in the your fuel uh nozzles are different colors than in the u.s Uh-oh. so yeah you know a ducati you doesn't run so in, well with you? diesel in it yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's all right. That the the AA rescued me and, and took me back to the Yay. to the deepest, darkest corners of East Anglia. Lovely. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So as we were just saying, these uh, these 
flyovers are not without risk. And the very last story that we're going to have in this little segment is the FAA is investigating the Detroit uh, flyover where a drone flight came dangerously close to the Blue Angels. A uh, remotely piloted camera drone took footage of the Blue Angels over the city of Detroit um, in on May 12th on their America Strong flyover of the metro area. According to an article on the Aviationist, a drone came dangerously close to the aircraft and was within feet of the formation at one point. Uh, this, uh, this person that wrote the story is an expert in military aviation, has an extensive military background. Uh, the FAA spokesperson confirmed that the agency is aware of the incident and regarding the drone and is under investigation. Um, yeah, as you can see in the video there, uh, it, they're great from certified operators, certified drone operators, but this one unlicensed drone operator put his aircraft, do we call them aircraft? It is a craft in the air, I suppose, and uh, right in the path of these aircraft and, uh, and came dangerously, dangerously close to, to, um, to their flight path. I mean, this is, I mean, it's just, I mean, I, 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 you know, my words fail me really. I mean, it's such a, yeah, this is the, so we're, we're coming up to the part that uh, we're talking about, uh, here, if you're watching the YouTube version where you can see, look how close this drone is to the actual aircraft. That's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. Here we go. It's uh, coming past again in slightly slow motion. Yeah, it was so is, close. Look is. at that. That is, that is just like, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, I acknowledge it's a great shot, but I mean, you know, that could have, if that had caught one of the aircraft, who, who knows where it could have ended up and the damage that could have potentially been done there right you know I'm, i've got you know everybody knows i've got a little drone i'm all registered i'm done with the caa i passed my little exam and all that kind of thing i love flying my little drone especially in lockdown it's one of the few things that gives me enjoyment but um uh, i'd like to think that anybody who's done said test wouldn't be stupid enough to try and take a shot like that i, I can't believe i just i can't believe that anybody would think that that's a good idea to put their drone in the path of those aircraft and they're probably only doing 180 knots or so. And, uh, mm. th there's no way that those pilots are going to see that, that, that little, no. so no. I mean, uh, uh, unbelievable. Uh, genuinely though, is it, is it likely to cause, like to say, say one did strike, um, you know, say it did sort of, you know, their, their path was down slightly or the wing caught it and it went up or whatever. I mean, yeah. is it likely to cause any, what sort of damage is likely Absolutely. Could have been caused by said drone? Uh, to a fighter well, like that well the worst would be if it was ingested into the engine intake uh, that could certainly cause some damage as these drones are especially some of the professional ones are are, are pretty big mm -hmm. probably a little bit bigger than most of us think um, but even just a, a dent in the in the wing or or taking out a, a panel we, we just saw the thunderbirds and how they have to react to to a challenge while they're flying this it's that chain of events, right? So, sure, would 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 a drone cause enough damage to bring down an airplane? No, but could it damage a flight control enough to move it enough where that that aircraft is now out of place in its formation, of course, potentially yeah. hitting hitting another aircraft? If you were to suffer an engine loss, now these are amazing pilots and they have a contingency plan for everything. But if you were to suffer an engine loss uh, when you're only flying three feet. Just the, the amount of movement in the aircraft as, as that uh, 
aerodynamics are being affected could be enough to, to now possibly bring down two or more aircraft. It's just unbelievable to me that anybody would, would think this is a great idea. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And I, hope they, and I hope they get prosecuted. I hope they find them and get prosecuted. Yes, of course. So there is always the risk, though, as I say. Like, I mean, I have to put stickers on my drone that that they can that people can clearly identify who I am by using the code that's on there. Of course, there is no guarantee that the person with this drone has got the appropriate, you know, paperwork, if you like, attached to their drone. I mean, you've got, you know, it's. Um, hmm. I'd like to think that if you're paying upwards of, well, what five, six, seven hundred pounds, up to a thousand or more yeah, for a high end, them, yeah. yeah, for a high end DJI drone. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that if you had, if you had that money to spend on something like that, that you'd be fairly, um, you know, clued up and mm. good with Indeed. said device. Mm. So okay. next story in the military segment is, uh, it's all doom and gloom this week, honestly, <laughs> Uh, this uh, some sad news that uh, this is uh, on military.com. An F-22 Raptor uh, crashed last Friday morning during a routine training flight near Eglin Air Force Base in Florida. Uh, the F-22 assigned to the 325th Fighter Wing crashed at approximately 9.15 a.m. Eastern Time. Jasmine Portlefield, a spokesperson for the base, told Military.com. The pilot was able to eject safely and is being evaluated by the 96th Medical Group at the base, she said, and the crash occurred roughly 12 miles northeast of Eglin on the test and training range, and no injuries have been reported. And uh, on Tuesday uh, last week, an F-35 a joint strike fighter crashed at Eglin Air Force Base, Florida, Tuesday evening following a routine nighttime training flight, according to the Air Force. The F-35A Lightning II, assigned to the 58th Fighter Squadron of the 33rd uh, Fighter Wing, crashed at around 9.30 p.m. local time upon landing. Uh, base officials said in a release, the pilot who is in a stable condition successfully ejected and was transported to the 96th Medical Group Hospital at Eglin for evaluation and monitoring. Uh, there was no loss of life or damage to civilian property, the release uh, also said, and the name of the pilot is not being released at this time, and the incident is under investigation. The 33rd Fighter Wing is the leading training wing for the F-35 student pilot at the base. Although the F-35 is the Pentagon's newest and most advanced aircraft, the oldest joint strike fighters in the fleet reside at Eglin. The planes are part of Lockheed Martin's earliest low-rate initial production batches. The pilot was able to eject safely and had been evaluated by the 96th Medical Group, and the crash occurred roughly again 12 miles northeast of Eglin on the test and training range. Uh, An investigation into that mishap is also ongoing, the officials said. The latest F-35 incident uh, marks uh, the second American F-35 crash that occurred stateside in two years' time. In September 2018, a Marine Corps F-35B assigned to Marine Fighter Attack uh, Training Squadron 501 uh, crashed near Beaufort, uh, South Carolina. Uh, The pilot was able to eject... Following the crash, the Pentagon grounded all service variants of the stealth fighter, citing the need to inspect potentially faulty fuel tubes within the engine before the aircraft were allowed to take to the skies again. In April 2019, last year, the F-35A variant belonging to Japan, uh, I think we covered this actually, uh, crashed about half an hour after taking off from Misawa Air Force Base. 
the Japanese Air Self-Defense Force, or the JASDF, concluded that the pilot experienced vertigo, or spatial disorientation, during the flight, which was the reason behind the pilot of the fifth-generation jet that was unable to rectify the aircraft's course, ultimately plunging into the Pacific Ocean. Wow. It's uh, definitely a busy time, I think, in the military for, uh, for incidents, uh, Armando. Yeah, to quote uh, Tony S. in the chat room, it's uh, an expensive week for the United States Air Force. I don't don't think there's any disagreement there, yes. Not been a good week, it has to be said. (laughs) But they ejected safely, that's the point to make, is that uh, the guys got out and they're they're safe, which is always (laughs) the best outcome. I do, I do, typical Nick here, to lose one might be considered careless. Uh, dot dot dot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know they there there's certainly some scrutiny when you put down a, a hundred and fifty million dollar jet into the dirt. Well, yes. So some <laughs> someone will have to answer for something mm-hmm. at some point. Yes, absolutely. And someone may have to get a checkbook out at some point to put it all right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on to the next story. This is uh, in Flying in Ireland, and the headline is New Transport Aircraft for the Irish Air Corps. As reported in uh, some media outlets, the... Uh, oh, now, somebody help me with this. Teo... Oh... The Tayo research and minister. Sorry, as okay. Tisach, Tisach. Okay, what? Tisach. Okay, I'm sorry. I, the producer said it three times in my ear. I still didn't get it. Mean Tisach. 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 Okay. Anyway, that word uh, and the minister for defence, uh, Leo, will will loop, miss out his surname for the same reason. Uh, Varaka. Oh, I think I think the producer has stitched me up. I've obviously been I think, bad I think, in some way. I think this is the first time that we're doing a military story that it's not the technical terms that are that are no, throwing no, you. It's, no, just, it's just the boring old yeah. names. Yes. Anyway, great. Uh, anyway. Yeah, so the Irish Prime Minister, let's go with that, has asked the Defence Forces to examine the possible acquisition of a military transport aircraft. With the exception of Cyprus and Malta, Ireland is the only country in the EU that doesn't have its own dedicated military transport aircraft. The need for a transport aircraft has come to light in recent years times as troops away with United Nations peacekeeping duties have been unable to return home due to travel restrictions arising from COVID-19. Currently, Irish troops have to be uh, transported by commercial operators or on other foreign military transport aircraft. Recently, a number of Irish troops serving with the EU's training mission in Mali had to return home via Madrid on a Spanish Air Force flight and then continued on uh, on to Bon... Baldonnell in an Irish Air Corps, uh, is it CASA, C-A-S-A? I, I, I quit. That's correct, I quit. CASA. That's, <laughs> I give up. Uh, anyway, uh, whilst the Irish Air Corps does have two CASA uh, CN-235 aircraft, these are primarily de- dedicated to operating maritime patrols and are only made available for other missions when time permits. Both the CN-235s are... 
uh, due to be replaced in 2022 with the arrival of two new CASA 295MP aircraft. The only other aircraft in the fleet with a transport capability is the Learjet 45. While it, operate, while it offers relatively fast transits, its small cabin and limited range means that it is really only suitable for shuttling around Europe. In an attempt to add some additional capacity in response to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, the Irish Air Corps agreed a deal to purchase an additional Pilatus PC-12 at short notice in March. The new PC-12 has been involved in numerous missions, such as transporting coronavirus tests to a laboratory in Germany and the uh, repatriation of Irish Defence Forces personnel from Kosovo. The Irish Air Corps are due to accept delivery for a further three Pilatus PC-12 aircraft later this year. They will be used uh, in the intelligence surveillance, target acquisition and reconnaissance role. Uh, the lack of transport capabilities has existed for years, but the COVID-19 outbreak has highlighted the need for the Defence Forces uh, to have their own capability to move troops and materials. Uh, I'll save you there, Matt. Okay, um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, the... the CASA 295 is an incredibly capable, air, air, capable aircraft. We've talked about it uh, with a couple other air forces, and it's one of these airplanes that's produced by the Spanish, um, and I believe it's an Airbus program now. It used to be EADS uh, CASA, um, but uh, somebody, I'm sure the chat room will know, but I, but I, I do believe it is an Airbus program now. And uh, it's got a ramp and door. It's got, uh, it's got the range. It's uh, got reliable engines. It's just a... a fantastic airplane that can do a little bit of everything. They looked uh, at the uh, C-27J, which there's, I think, a little bit of a surplus of because they didn't really sell as well as they did. They looked at C-130s, some used ones, uh, but uh, if the Irish Air Corps is able to acquire some of these CASA 295s, um, I, I think having an, a cargo role is, uh, is pretty critical to an Air Force. So if they're going to call themselves an Air Corps, we should probably have something that can move uh, some stuff in. Although the the Pilatus PC-12 is a very capable aircraft, you just can't put uh, that people. much stuff yeah, in. It. No, indeed. Uh, I'm I'm I, I'm being. Uh uh, told off by uh, Captain Nick Anderson in the chat room here because apparently I said corpse and it should have been core, so it's it's not the other one. Yeah, it should have been core and not loads of dead people. Uh, yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll give them a pass, Nick. We'll give them a pass. That's it. I'm never reading military stories ever ever again. That's it. I'm done. Uh, oh oh I'll just, boy. I'll just stay here and press buttons. That that you know I I stand less chance of getting that wrong. Never mind. <laughs> Sorry, Nick and everyone else. <laughs> well i'll tell you what since carlos is muted uh we're gonna finish with one last story and uh it is uh, brought to us by nev who has the best voice of all of us oh, stop it. oh he's so smooth um, isn't he <laughs> <laughs> this is on the space.com website and another sad story i'm afraid um annie glenn who's the wed uh, widow of the late nasa astronaut and u.s senator john glenn the first American to orbit the Earth has sadly died, NASA announced. Uh, I think it was uh, yesterday. Uh, she was 100 years old. <clears throat> we are deeply saddened by the passing of Annie Glenn, a stalwart member of the space and military communities. Her courageous support of her legendary husband, John, was unmatched, uh, NASA officials said in a statement. 
Uh, Annie Glenn died today. Uh, actually, it was May the 19th she passed away. It's a nursing home near St. Paul's, uh, Minnesota, after suffering complications from COVID-19. She was an ad- advocate for people with disabilities and communication disorders, having struggled with a speech impediment for much of her life. She married John Glenn in 1943 and had been his spouse for 73 years Good when he me. died at uh, the age of 95 in 2016. On February the, the 20th, 1962, uh, Annie Glenn watched her husband launch into space on the Mercury Atlas Six mission on that mission john glenn became the first american to orbit the earth when he circled the planet three times before safely splashing down into the atlantic ocean as was as was the case with all of the uh, astronauts wives annie glenn was thrust into the spotlight when her husband launched on that historic mission however she shied away from the media attention because of her stutter she overcame the speech impairment at age 53 after attending a three-week treatment program at Hollins Communication Research Institute in Virginia. When John Glenn launched in space again at age 77, becoming the oldest person to ever go into space, Annie Glenn had become more comfortable with her public role and was more willing to speak to the press, uh, the Associated Press reported. Uh, She provided an example for other women who followed to face the challenges of being part of our nation's space program and the stress of having spouses in combat, NASA said in the statement. She stood steadfastly by her husband as he took to space once again as the oldest person to orbit the Earth, even as she continued her own lifelong public service on behalf of children, the elderly and the disabled. The Glens' dedication to each other is well known as we look to them as an unmatched example of the strength and compassion that a lifetime of devotion creates. She will be missed, the statement added. That's a very sad story indeed, but uh, gosh, what a... What a lady and what a supportive lady she was. And, and to be able to go through all of that speech therapy at the age of 53, uh, that must take some doing as well. So, um, yeah, very, very sad news. But goodness, what a life uh, she and her husband lived. Mm. Actually, there's a great uh, comment here in the chat room, if I may share it with you from Lisbo Nelson, who's saying behind, and I'm sure Nick will agree with this as well, behind a great man, there is always a far greater woman. I think that's, uh, I think that's good advice for, for all of us. So you know, it's uh, it's it's um, so often the, the 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 role is sort of underestimated a bit, isn't it? Of those that you know behind, you know, to be able to do these amazing achievements, you've got to have somebody who who understands your drive and your your you know your passion, if you like, to to allow you to do it almost, don't you? And to sort of push you in the right direction. It's uh, she sounds like a, a wonderful lady. Sure, and there and there are certainly some unique stresses involved with both aviation, military service, and I can't even imagine, but uh, but having an astronaut for a for a spouse, and one of the one of my greatest achievements when I was in the military and up in the management level was to break down the barriers between uh, spouses and the military members themselves, um, including them in the decision in the command decision-making process, knowing that it is easy to fall into a trap where a spreadsheet drives an operation or numbers drive an operation, but behind every operation, you need people. And behind those people and those operators, there are the families and the spouses that, that you need to take into account. And, uh, and, uh, 
I couldn't agree more. I would not be here without my spouse, as I think no. most uh, most of us would say. Absolutely. Although Nick has to ruin it by saying, of course, let's not forget that Jilly does indeed have a baseball bat at her disposal. So that I think that helps to focus the yes. mind also. Uh, but there's, all, there's all kinds of different motivation yes, methods, absolutely. aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. It's one that definitely works. Uh, <laughs> there we go. That is the military for this week thank you armando very good very good no problem breaking news steph just told me that there's a or told everybody in the chat room that there's a tornado warning for charlotte so right okay. glad i glad i took the tops off the jeep <laughs> steph <laughs> yes well well done well done happy days yeah. <laughs> didn't you do well <laughs> oh okay uh, we're gonna move on to the next part of the show now and uh, carlos you're in charge of this Yes, yes. This uh, this is a story that popped up in the news feeds uh, this week, and uh, I kind of suppose if I set the kind of situation, uh, say you are um, incredibly well off and you've got your own vision jet with your own personal pilot, and you're buzzing along in your Cirrus vision jet, you know, chilling out, drinking your fine As bottle you do. of uh, Dom Perignon, and the pilot earlier on in the day decided to have the fish. Uh, albeit the dodgy fish, and then collapses at the uh, on the uh, on the flight deck. So, Cirrus uh, Vision Jet have have got a system um, from the makers Garmin, uh, the G three thousand, and this system, according to all the uh, tech speak, this system will allow the passenger you who are sitting there with your Dom Perignon uh, to go up to the flight deck, press one button, and the aircraft will land for you. Tack, or taxi along the runways, come to a stop, shut down the engines, and allow you to get off there and then. But I was lucky enough to get in contact with Max Trescott, who most of you will know uh, brings you the uh, Aviation News Talk podcast each week, which is a great little show. And I got hold of Max because Max was lucky enough to be at the uh, unveiling and the kind of premiere of the G3000. So I met up with Max, and we had a little conversation earlier on this week, and I started off by asking Max a bit more about the kind of the inner workings of this whole system and and what it does. It really is. They have done a remarkable job of thinking through uh, all the different details of, you know, how you would make something like this work. And by the way, they started a really long time ago. They first started working on the system in 2011. First flights were then in the 2014, 2015 timeframe. So they've been working on this for nine years. Uh, And so it, it really takes care of the aviate, navigate, communicate, uh, when you push the button, it goes through an algorithm to sort through all the different possible airports that you might consider landing at. It takes a look at what the weather is, and essentially, uh, you could think of it as almost like uh, each piece of weather is a different layer on a transparency that you might put in an overhead projector, and it will steer around the uh, the filled-in areas that might be weather or you know anything else uh, that show up on that, uh, and it will communicate. Uh, so it's going to... Uh, you know, go on to the emergency frequency and uh, broadcast position. It's also going to uh, contact ATC, let them know that an emergency is in progress. It's going to squawk 7700. Uh, so, of course, it also does a rather remarkable thing, which is, you know, it chooses an airport, flies an approach, uh, puts it into a flare, lands, and then turns off the airplane. So it's, uh, it's pretty phenomenal. I, I'd like to say that Garmin has thought of just about everything. Now, Max, the website says that this system will do everything, including the depressurization uh, that needs to be done on approach to landing. This system must be an, an amazingly well put together um, you know, piece of software to be able to do all this. And you know, 
to, to basically do what the you know the, the pilot in command would normally do if he was in charge of flying the aircraft. I think it's not a coincidence that they started it in the G3000 system. That's in the mid-range of their product line that goes into turboprops and to, to light jets. Everything from the uh, Piper M600, which is the first one to achieve certification, uh, the Cirrus Vision Jet, which is the second announced uh, platform that will be uh, getting this on up into things like the Honda Jet, the Phenom 300E, and aircraft uh, of that case a class. So you've got tremendous capability in the G3000 system to begin with. Uh, and then you might ask, well, why not have put it in an even more capable system like the, the G5000? And I think the answer is that there are more G3000s out there, and the G5000 is really designed for the uh, Part 25 aircraft, which are crew-flown anyway. And auto, the whole idea behind Autoland is this is for pilot incapacitation. The uh, G3000, many of those aircraft are single pilot flown, which means there isn't another crew member to land the airplane. So this is really the ideal platform, I think, with lots of capability and where you might actually have a case where a passenger you know, is able to, to save their life by reaching up and pushing one button. It's a system, Max. Obviously, you've signed it. Obviously, there's, there's a pass- if there is a passenger in the back that they can come up forward and press this button to, to activate the system. But as you said, if, the, if it is a, a single pilot in the aircraft, if there is no one else on board the aircraft and there is something that happens to the pilot, does the system pick up on any other kind of cues that will then tell it to activate itself? Or So I know that there is one system which will do that, which is the EDM system, the emergency descent uh, management system. So if, for example, a pilot, uh, suppose there was an oxygen problem of some kind and a pilot became incapacitated, EDM would eventually, uh, after a period of several minutes, depending on the altitude you're at, uh, automatically uh, reduce the throttles and bring you down to uh, an altitude of either 14 or 15,000 feet, depending upon what that particular aircraft manufacturer has specified. I think, and I'm not sure, that eventually auto land uh, in those aircrafts would uh, kick in. Um, But in general, the system is designed for someone, either a a pilot who realizes that they're they're losing their capabilities or a passenger to reach up and touch that uh, single button toward the uh, the top of the cockpit. Now, there are actually two buttons. It's not a single button. The the other button is to uh, turn the the system back off again if you decide that, oh, guess what? Uh, That was was not the air conditioning switch after all. The the system itself, uh, Max, obviously, is it an add-on system that that, that bolts on alongside the 3000 or is it actually installed within... The, uh, the Garmin 3000 system itself. So there is additional wiring that has to be put into the airplane, uh, but I would say that a large percentage of the uh, components are, uh, you know, software that are in the system. You do have some uh, additional external controls. For example, uh, you have to have uh, ways to uh, do steering on the ground and also to do braking. So there are some uh, you know, additional servos that are placed in there. In terms of operating the throttle, that's already in there because Autoland requires that the auto throttle uh, be installed in that aircraft. And right now, I think there are three aircraft that have the uh, the auto throttle. Uh, the other one besides the two aircraft I've mentioned is the, the TBM 940. So it wouldn't surprise me if at some time in the future they announce Autoland for that aircraft as well. Now, Armando, obviously uh, our fellow co-host on the show, uh, flies the Pilatus PC-12. Um, is this a system that will be 
put onto these, do you know? Only if uh, Honeywell comes up with a similar <laughs> system since they don't use the, uh, the Garmin 3000 uh, in, that, uh, in that aircraft. How much um, roughly, uh, Max, do you know is, is a system to buy? So you can't buy a Garmin G3000 system and install it in your airplane. It's only available to OEMs, uh, original equipment manufacturers like, you know, Cessna and Daher and companies like that to place into their aircraft. Uh, there is no uh, kind of retrofit aftermarket mm. available. Uh, I have seen, for example, the G5000 does have some aftermarket retrofit uh, customers. So, for example, uh, that system can be placed into the Hawker 400 uh, as well as the uh, some of the Citation XLS uh, models. And I believe I've seen a, a price for the hardware of somewhere in the vicinity of $150,000 just for the, you know, the G5000. That doesn't include installation, by the way, which runs about a month. Uh, so you could figure... Oh, that's, that's probably, let's see, 20 times. Yeah, that's probably another $60,000 easily in, uh, you know, installation cost. So, yeah, if you were to take one of these and drop them into an airplane, you're looking at over $200,000. And that wouldn't include Autoland because uh, that has some additional components to it. But that, that kind of gets you in the ballpark of, of what this would cost. Do you think, Max, that this will be a system that will be kind of not enforced, but that will be put into or be fitted into most aircraft of this kind of that kind of size the really nice thing about garmin's philosophy is that they really have throughout their uh, you know uh, existence trying to you know democratize some of these higher end capabilities move them down to lower end aircraft so that they are widely available and uh, they did comment while I was at the, the factory on the day that this was announced uh, late last year. And they did specifically comment that they do see a path uh, both upwards and downwards uh, for this system. Uh, they, they didn't obviously announce anything. Uh, but I think you could envision that in aircraft that don't have auto throttles, for example, that there might be communications that are issued to the passenger that say, now pull the throttle back and, you know, might even have a picture or you know, something like that. So, yes, I think that this is going to become more broadly available. The other way I would love to see this uh, be used uh, would be to make it not just for emergencies. Uh, this apparently makes pretty darn good landings. Uh, I think it would be awesome if there would come a day where we could actually use it for routine landings. You can imagine if you were you know, landing in terrible weather with uh, poor visibility, that it would be nice to just say, you know what, let's watch the aircraft land this one. So I'm hopeful that that might happen someday. What do you think, Max, uh, um, would be the possibility of this kind of system being kind of integrated into a commercial airline? Do you think that there'll be a day that comes? I know we we joke, obviously, that the Airbus is a, is a one-button push, start and finish aircraft, but do you think this could be kind of the way forward for all commercial airliners to have that one button does all. Wait, you know, that, that kind of brings up a, a couple of thoughts. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> one, one is they, they already have some kinds of auto land capability, though it doesn't have the full communication and selection of airport and things like that. And interestingly, the Garmin system in some ways is a lot more capable than auto land that exists uh, in airliners uh, today. Uh, the Autoland system uh, is based off of GPS. Uh, that means Garmin can basically choose, you know, any of 
probably on the order of uh, 10,000 uh, airports around the world that have GPS approaches into them. Uh, if you look at uh, the Autoland and the airlines, those are limited to uh, Cat 3 ILSs, of which you know, we have perhaps 600 ILS in the entire United States, which fewer, fewer than those are going to be, you know, Cat 3 available. So uh, this is a very broadly, you know, available type uh, capability. Um, and then this also, I think, brings up the whole issue of, I hate to even mention this, but, um, you know, <laughs> single pilot flown airliners. And, you know, it's a terrible thing to even be bringing up at a time yeah. when, you know, pilots are being laid off around the world. Uh, but we've, uh, for example, on the Airplane Geeks podcast, we've talked many times in the past about how uh, certainly the airlines would love to be able to reduce their operating cost. And uh, I would expect that at some point in the future, uh, they'll be looking at how to, at least starting first with cargo aircraft, how to bring that down to a single, you know, pilot flown uh, aircraft. And I got to say, from a personal standpoint, boy, I, I'm not looking forward to that. I just think that uh, half the fun of flying is having some there buddy up there with you to talk with and enjoy the experience. And if you're going to have to sit up there six hours by yourself, I'm not sure I want that job. <laughs> I think that's, uh, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. So where do you think, Max, this could go from here? You know, from the system they've got in place now, which obviously, you know, does the whole auto lands thing. It'll land the aircraft on the runway, shut down the engines. Where, where do you think Garmin can go from here to, I don't know, improve or to add additional safeties to the to system? Sure. Well, I think probably the, the, the obvious, most easiest way to go would be to move it up to the G5000. Uh, if there were uh, OEMs that thought that even though we have two pilots, it would be helpful to have it in case both pilots ate the chicken and both are <laughs> incapacitated. <laughs> um, but I think that uh, we could also uh, you know, see that it would be nice to have it available to, to do the landing and non-emergency capability. You can't test it, for example, today, uh, because anytime you push the button, now the transponder is squawking 7700, it's broadcasting, uh, and it's also sending an email, by the way, back to the manufacturer saying, hey, someone just pushed this button. You're going to want to download the data and find out what this was uh, all about. But I can see it potentially migrating down into some of the um, higher-end um, single-engine piston aircraft. I think an obvious candidate would be the Cirrus SR-22T and the Cirrus SR-22. I mean, these are fairly expensive aircraft that, uh, you know, have uh, pilots and owners who really enjoy having the latest, greatest kind of capability. I don't know that they'll have an auto throttle in that aircraft, but even if they didn't, there would still be ways to make that uh, aircraft work. For example, if you look at the EDM, emergency descent management, uh, not all, all aircraft that have that, uh, you know, have an auto throttle capability. So in some cases, uh, it, it'll come down at a you know, faster speed than would be ideal because they can't control control the throttle, uh, and I would imagine that uh, similar kinds of compromises could be made if this were to, you know, move down into a single engine Cessna, or, or you know, like Cirrus as well. It's, it's it is amazing system. You know, when you read uh, the read the actual story that that uh, we've got here on the uh, the business airport international dot com website, you know, that lists lists the whole 
kind of scenario on here of what would happen in the event that the pilot was incapacitated and you know, when you press this button and it lands. It, isn't it, it sounds just an amazing system. And obviously you, you were lucky enough to go and, and see the unveiling of, uh, of this system. I'm guessing it was quite a busy day when they uh, unveiled this at Garmin. It was an extremely busy day. Yes, they <laughs> they they, uh, they they had a lot of things uh, going on that day, but it was fun. It was very exciting to be there. Uh, you know when that happened. Uh, yes, you say it's an amazing system. I look at this really as kind of a a watershed event of which we don't have many of these in aviation. And I was kind of thinking back, if I look at least from a general aviation standpoint, what are the you know earlier watershed type events? And I would say that uh, the introduction of GPS in the early uh, 1990s, that was just a major event that has over time totally changed the way GA aircraft are flown. The introduction of glass cockpits in 2003 and the Cirrus SR-22, again, just that was a revolution I never thought we would see happen. I just never thought that the systems would become uh, inexpensive enough that you could afford to put them into a GA aircraft. And now, uh, 17 years later, Autoland. So to me, those are kind of the three major watershed events that, uh, you know, mark really large, uh, you know, seismic shifts in, uh, in general aviation, uh, you know, most of which we couldn't really anticipate and which, which bring tremendous capability and still just kind of leave me in awe when I think about them. So, Max, thanks for joining us. But before you go, we'll have to ask you, um, you know, how, how are things with you? I mean, obviously, you, you're regularly flying aircraft, you know, going and visiting and picking up aircraft for customers and clients and stuff i'm guessing that's all fairly quiet at the moment with what's going on in the world but um you know how, how is uh, how is life well thanks for asking and it's really kind of ironic because i came off of what was probably the busiest couple of months in my entire life where in december january february i was just going non-stop i had an eight-day period where i was in knoxville tennessee three times uh, and that was that was uh, spanning before and after Christmas, uh, you know, picking up uh, two SR-22Ts, picking up one uh, Cirrus Vision Jet, uh, flying them with their owners uh, back across the country to uh, basically on March 11th, I just kind of looked at the data and said, hmm, you know, this probably makes sense to start hanging out at home. And about a week later, uh, we got the shutdown here. So. I don't know how long that's been. I've lost track of time. It kind of feels like Groundhog Day here. I mean, every day is the same. So, uh, <laughs> and you can tell from the video, I haven't shaved since about March 12th or 13th. I just kind of decided, you know what, I'm uh, I'm just going to take it easy here. And uh, the good news is it's provided me a lot of time to finish up a book that uh, has gotten done much sooner than I would have uh, expected. Uh, so I've used the time very uh, productively. And yes, I really am looking forward to getting back into an airplane at some point in time. And I'm just not sure how that's going to uh, come about. We've got to, I think, still kind of figure out, uh, you know, some safe protocols for, for having two people in a tightly confined space for a couple hours. I mean, that's obviously the longer you spend with someone, the more contact time you have, the greater the chance of passing uh, something. Thing. And of course, when you're talking, that's expelling a lot of, uh, you know, droplets and gosh, you know, I'm talking nonstop in the aircraft. So and there's just not me to think about. I have to think about, you know, would I be t- potentially, you know, bringing back a virus to home as well and to my wife. And so it's like just a lot of things to think about. And I just don't have an answer for you. But in the meantime, I'll be uh, cranking out books. 
Excellent. So, um, well, we'll have you. We'll have you. I have to have you on the show when uh, when you release that book, just so we could uh, find out some more info on it. But uh, in the meantime, Max, before we let you go, obviously you uh, obviously present and uh, bring to the uh, podcast realm each week your own podcast, the Aviation News Talk podcast. So, before we go, give that a massive plug. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I can tell you that uh, last episode, which just came out a couple of days ago, we talked about how to fly the commercial maneuvers, and I strongly encouraged anyone who has uh, got an interest in upping their uh, pilot skills to consider getting the commercial, uh, as I said, just because. And I was, as I mentioned on the show, I was very happy that I had my commercial, uh, which I never expected to use. But then when one day someone said, hey, you should get your CFI, boom, I could go off and do that. And lo and behold, it ultimately became my second career. So we talk about everything that's uh, general aviation uh, oriented on the Aviation News Talk. Actually, I have to recommend episode 148. That was your weight and balance episode. Absolutely thoroughly enjoyed that episode. Um, very interesting indeed. Definitely one to uh, to listen to. But no, thanks, Max, for coming on and joining us today. It's been absolutely great to uh, to have you on the show and answer all the uh, questions about this particular system and uh all, i have to wish you all the very best from all of us here uh, at the p2k all the team and wish you all the very best for your flying in the future and not forgetting as well uh, your great book so uh, yeah thanks for that thanks so much for having me it's been great fun to be back here with you guys take care max bye-bye oh I do like listening to Max Trescott. His voice is quite what a quite what a, a listen, chap he is. Oh, fantastic! Such a knowledgeable fella, isn't he? Mm. Yeah. yeah, he's yeah. just legendary, isn't he? It's nice. It's nice to have a chat with Max. I know he'd be a hive of information, uh, being as he got the chance to go to uh, Garmin's HQ. But uh, Armando, you you obviously fly the you know the the uh, Pilatus PC12, which is a similar size to the uh, you know slightly bigger than I think it's slightly bit bigger than the Vision Jet, about the same size. It's a little bit bigger than the Vision yeah. Jet. It's a little bit bigger than the TBM. Uh, both of these uh, aircraft have the Autoland system. But, uh, you know, like Max was saying, it, 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 uh, or there's nothing I can add to what, what Max said on the system. It's uh, just, you know, as our, as our chat room was talking about, the Autoland as a, as a function has been around for a while. But the idea to have it in general aviation aircraft is, uh, is, is just a, a great thing. And it may not be... The way so just yesterday I was up at uh, one of my local airports and I was signing up Megan to take what's called a pinch hitter course. That is, if if something were to happen to me or I'm feeling unwell, that she would have enough knowledge and it's a, f- a four hour course for her to be able to land that aircraft. Um, wow! Oh, yeah, that's a great just, idea. That's a great idea. Yeah, it's not a an official course or anything. It's just one of our local CFIs that uh does it that the gene's got over thirty thousand hours uh, as a flight instructor and and he does this course uh, for anybody that flies as a passenger this eliminates the autoland system eliminates having to do that and in addition to that it may not necessarily be the passenger in sort of that movie setting reaching up and hitting the autoland function me as a pilot I, i may recognize the onset of a medical condition and for the purposes of of, uh, of safety, I'll reach up and hit the Autoland function knowing that it's going to work and knowing that I may not make it down to the ground, uh, at least in, in, uh, in full capacity. 
Um, so, so it may not necessarily be the passenger. So to have this system and yes, it's costly, but it's also, it's always costly when it's innovative. You know, when you're talking about five years from now, this may be a little bit more commonplace in some of the aircraft coming out of the factories. And, uh, it's just, uh, yeah, like, like he said, it's just a benchmark system in general aviation. Uh, I, I, I should just say, actually, while we while we were listening to that, uh, uh, it would appear that Armando was getting some unexpected help uh, with the uh, with the podcast. There, somebody had taken over his station uh, whilst uh, whilst that was going on. There, it's uh, starting our own podcast. Or, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, as we've talked about already, there's a tornado warning, and it's starting to rain pretty hard here. And you guys can, if you're watching the video, you can see that it's actually turned almost to night yeah. here where I am on my end. And both dogs are not fans of that, so they're uh, by my side. <laughs> one of them, the, the little one who's in charge of our house, uh, Lois Lane, decided to get up on my lap, and, and Benny was right at my feet. So, <laughs> indeed, yeah, absolutely. Well, we need. Well, fingers crossed. You'll you'll stay. Safe, Armando, and well, obviously, you know, uh, Doctor Steph. Obviously, she's not a million miles away from you at all, is she? So, fingers crossed. It is just a warning and just a bit, bit of bad weather coming through, rather than anything more sinister. Yeah, Steph will see it first, since it's all coming from that direction. Lovely, so. good. So you can get plenty of warning then. Yeah. Yep. Take the woman. <laughs> Don't hurt me. Charming, <laughs> lovely. Oh dear. Right. Well, it's time to start wrapping up, gentlemen. Uh, what's everybody up to this week? Carlos, you said that you might have to go and do a bit of work this week. I might do just have a little day, possibly Tuesday, just a little bit of work just to get out of the house for the day. But um, apart from that, I should be uh, valeting more cars for people oh, this week. Dear. Oh, uh, <laughs> dear. Richard Adams has just said in the chat room off the back of our conversation there, he was saying, you can always go a hound. <laughs> See, no, okay, just me. Fair <sighs> enough. All right. So, sorry about that. Uh, Nev, uh, another week of uh, furlough beckons for you, I believe. Uh, yes, we like to call it rotation. Uh, oh, my apologies. Sorry. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, so I should be doing another rotation next week and then back to work on June the 1st. So the highlight of next week is uh, having the car service, probably. Oh, steady. Um, that, that'll be about it. But just whilst I have the mic, I just wanted to... Uh, there's some more sad news to report, and I, it's really, it breaks my heart. I have spoke to uh, Paul, who was one of our... Um, hosts at the 200th show. Oh, gosh, yeah. He and Nick run NP Simulations uh, at, in London in Putney. And if you remember, so many people went to that event. We had some fantastic couple of dinners. We uh, the oh, honestly the the hospitality these guys gave us was just incredible. And I just got an email from him this week after I wrote to him. He said, "Nev, it's good to hear from you. I'm afraid that." We've gone into liquidation as the complete cessation of revenue, coupled with the investment that we had secured being withdrawn due to the COVID-19 crisis has left us unable to operate. So they've had to cease trading, I'm afraid. And uh, what what a pity that was, because um, it's, well, the facility was fantastic to begin with, but also the guys uh, put so much into it as well. So for, to, for Nick, Paul and Joe, I hope you find something soon as well, because uh, all of us really appreciated everything you did for us. Oh, well, I mean, our 200th is without doubt probably the greatest 
day I think PTUK ever had, isn't it? I mean, it was just such yep. a, a fantastic experience. And they were, as you say, they were so generous uh, with their time. Everybody got a good go of the simulator. That exactly, was there to, and... to enable all, you know, every, all the listeners mm. that we had, every single person who came that day got to, yeah. to fly in the 737 sim. And I, I particularly enjoyed setting up Captain Jeff, obviously, for a rather unpleasant uh, flight into wherever it was mm-hmm. with you know severe winds and all sorts so you know it was uh, it is it was really sad news uh, from from this week and uh, yeah it's uh, such a great idea that uh, you know this this pandemic's got an awful lot to be responsible for isn't it I was just looking at their Facebook page, actually, going back to 2016. It's still up there, and it shows the installation of the 737 simulator, uh, the whole thing literally being parked up outside mm. and loaded into the, into the building and being constructed. Absolutely incredible, uh, really. So the amount of effort that went into this uh, enterprise was amazing. But mm. uh, anyway, uh, best of luck from all of us, guys, and, and I hope you, you, you chaps find something soon. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, much much agreed. Uh, so, Armando, uh, what have, what are you up to this week? What's in your uh, diary? Hey, guys, so I'll be back to work here in a few days. I've actually had seven days off, which is kind of nice. Uh, but when I get back up to Pittsburgh, hopefully I'll get a chance to get together with Rick, and we're going to record a little segment, just kind of a military-focused segment, uh, and uh, we'll air that out in the near future. Mm. Uh, on Memorial Day here in the U.S. next Monday, we, we're going to record a segment with Bob Mills. Um, so Bob is a former U.S. Navy A-4 and F-14 Tomcat pilot. He is a very experienced legacy airline pilot. He's still an active legacy airline pilot. He is an air show performer and the president of one of the Reno Air Racing classes and just recently bought a Stearman uh, that he flew across the country. So... Um, we'll get that recorded. It's uh, probably going to be lengthy because he's just got a pretty pretty long aviation background. So maybe we'll split that up into a couple parts. I'll let uh, Nev decide that. So he's the, mm. the king of that kind of stuff. But, <laughs> that's uh, it sounds great. Yeah, sounds great. It. Uh, I've got a very quick uh, update, actually, uh, that's just appeared uh, in our show notes. Uh, thanks, John, for that. It says an update on the, the PIA crash. At least seven survivors as opposed to the four that we mentioned in the show earlier, and at least uh, 57 dead as opposed to the 47 that we said earlier. So that's uh, a senior member of the Pakistani government told uh, Sky News uh, so far that there were seven uh, seven survivors. So, um, yeah, that's an update on that. Uh, uh, going back to uh, the week ahead, I mean, I have a grocery shopping trip planned midweek well, can will, I come? Uh, well we'll see you know that will uh, interrupt my otherwise uh, very hectic s- schedule of sitting so um, yeah that's probably my highlight uh, a little bit of a shop um, that's uh, that's about it for me really uh, so uh, social media links if you'd like to get in touch with the show uh, you can search social media by putting uh, or searching for plain talking UK as the tag our whatsapp number which means you can basically keep Carlos up uh, until the wee small hours that's a lot of fun plus four four seven five seven double two four nine one six six that is plus four four seven five seven double two four nine one six six the email for the show podcast at plain talking uk.com and 
and of course the website www.plaintalkinguk.com uh, is where you can go there's a new website coming hopefully next week ladies and gentlemen fingers crossed uh, why not subscribe to our YouTube channel you'll get all the notifications of when we go live and you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room go to youtube.com and search for Plain Talking UK uh, on our website there is also the Amazon link you can do your shopping you can contribute towards the show without having to uh, sort of physically put money in that Amazon pay us a, a, like an advertising referral free if you use that uh, link uh, or if you do have a bit of spare change uh, we don't blame you at the moment by the way if you don't uh, and we're very thankful for all of our patrons who are so generous with their their money and time uh, but why not become a patreon donator if you can uh, afford to patreon.com and then just search for plain talking UK uh, many options in there on how to get involved and help the show stay on air so uh, uh, yes I think I speak for all of us when I say thank you very much to all of our wonderful patreon donators as I say it is very strange times at the moment and uh, their support is even more invaluable in these difficult times very true matt very true and as we said before has enabled us um this month to uh invest in that lovely piece of kit you have in the studio there, I know, it's you? very beautiful here and it's doing wonders for our audio i'm delighted to say so very much worth it uh, that's it time to wrap up guys that's it then guys big thanks to everyone who has joined us in the youtube chat room tonight all the family members in there great to see you all well, thanks for taking time out your Friday evening to join us. Also, not forgetting the audio downloaders of the show as well. Thanks for you for downloading the show through all the various podcasts you type download places. And don't forget, if you download through iTunes, a little review and a starry thing was, would be lovely. So if you could do that, that'd be great. <laughs> so big thanks to all the hosts, for everyone for joining us tonight. Armando and Matt and Nev, big thanks to all you guys. But uh, from me, Carlos here in my home studio from matt over in the ptuk studios from nev in the nev tech studios and from armando in the tornado warning studios <laughs> take care have a great weekend everyone enjoy care, your sunday everyone. roasts see you later bye bye